Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcasting Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a brand new episode. I apologize to the listeners that it's been a minute since my last episode because the last episode I did was with Mike. And really? Yeah, I have you not have any other friends? Uh, um, I do have a lot of friends and everything, but it's just um, games. Because they know that. <laughs> you see, that's a thing about living in America. Sometimes there's a lot of trees and outside windows and everything, and a lot of people don't know I'm I'm their friend. So what are you trying to say? I shouldn't throw stones? <laughs> uh, I say I, I just said no. I'm gonna leave that joke alone. Um, I don't worry about throwing stones in a glass house because I sleep with the window open anyway. So yeah, in the middle of winter, sir. in the middle of winter during like freezing condition, below freezing conditions. Yeah, I think I did that the other day. It was like 28, and I had the window open while I slept Jesus. with the fan running. I need to be preserved. <laughs> uh, as your host, I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're talking. Uh, uh, I am talking with uh, Mr. Mike Wilson. How are you doing, Mike? Hi. <laughs> yeah, no, but I've been occupied with the other podcast. Please rewind part of the Real Fans for Real Movies Podcast Network. That's where I'm, I'm more consistent of. And with this show, yes, I like to record with people via Skype and everything, but I prefer doing it with per- in person because I think there's just a certain energy of having somebody in the room versus somebody online because you're all- there is always a little bit of a wait and a pause and I-, I enjoy the energy of having somebody in the room that's why I enjoy doing podcasts with you sir okay <laughs> I don't right. know I got nothing uh, you got nothing no yeah, but what about the subject at hand do you have a lot to talk about that uh not really <laughs> all right then it's I guess kind, of, kind of a boring crappy subject i think yeah. everyone's just gonna tune out yeah it'll be the worst thing we ever do and then the big c word canceled even though this is something we make and we're not on a network no we'll get canceled anyway someone will call up and just say you're canceled yeah like, but you don't run us i don't care you're canceled yeah yeah mm-hmm. but as you can tell from the title we're talking about teenage teenage mutant ninja turtles uh, the because we're adults. What? Well, yes. Uh, the, the 1990 movies, because we're talking about it for its 30th anniversary. So let's jump into that right now. Okay, so since you're the more adult of the two of us right now, I'll I ask am? you, yeah, well, if we're talking just by um, carbon dating, yes, you are. Oh, mm. he's calling me old. <laughs> I was trying to be, I, I think I was clever in my old joke right there, so. Well, you don't give me an inch with any of my jokes. No, because if I give you an inch, you take several miles. <laughs> And you and I just allow whatever, whatever. You you, circle the sun multiple times <laughs> with the amount of distance you take if someone gives you an inch. I seize the opportunities that are presented to me, sir. And I will seize the opportunity around your neck, sir, when, <laughs> when they get too, a little too. Uh, it's still good. It's it's still. I'm still gonna have a smile on my face when you choke the life out of me like that. You'll look just like the news reporter lady in Batman when the <laughs> when Joker's done with her. 
uh, but like if it was the Dark Knight Returns, you would set me on fire, and you say you tell my burning corpse to stop laughing, but uh, it would not do anything. I'd still laugh. And I'd you, laugh at your burning corpse, probably. You would laugh. At I'd talk to it and laugh at it, just like the Joker. <laughs> I'd probably make a pun too, just just out of the irony of it all. Burn. And it would probably end with, I'm glad you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but before you're dead. I did um, that at the end of a uh, chess game once, many, many years ago. I beat someone in chess, and then I did that and started laughing. They're like, oh, well, you don't have to gloat. And the other friends in the room was like, no, it's a Batman reference. Oh. Alcohol. Oh. Was that the reason for your gloating? No, um, the, it was the other person in their fucking shriveled, dehydrated oh, brain. I know who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, anyway, fuck him. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is your history with the Ninja Turtles property in general? Well, I'm good friends with the Ninja Turtles. Um, oh, I, really? Yes. No. Um, fuck, it's, it's one of those things, and I would have to look at the list of podcasts we planned for the future, but I'm going to say that this is the first of several things where... You ever think back on life and you try to remember when you first heard of something, when you first got to know something, and you can't pinpoint it to yourself? It's just something that was always there. Right. Like, like this it's is so ubiquitous in your life. You can't, you, your memories don't go far yes. back enough where it wasn't part of you. You just knew it was something that was there when you started existing and you just accepted it. Like, like okay, this is a thing. I like this. Like, the sky is blue, grass is green, Ninja Turtles are there. Yes. That's as far as I go back. I, I My existence does predate the Ninja Turtles. Well, actually, at least the cartoon. The comic, I'm, I'm the same age as the comic. Right. Which is now going to be 35 years. It was 35 years last year. Yes, was, 35 years last year. Yeah, This it, is it, 30 it, years for the movie. Yeah, okay. it was... May I'm old. Of, I don't have no sense of time anymore. May of 84, I think, was when it was first published, and you were born August of 84. Yes. Okay. But I remember the cartoon. I remember the action figures. I have a slew of action figures. Right. I have the fucking turtle van. I have the, the sewer play set. I have... Shit. You have the second... Technodrome? I do not have the Technodrome. Oh. I, I never wanted to buy the bad guy stuff. Really? Well, for one thing, bad guy action figures were harder to find unless it was like some like villain of the week that you didn't care about. Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want a Baxter Stockman fly toy? No, or... I don't think I have a Baxter Stockman fly toy. I have a Shredder. I have a Shredder and Super Shredder. That's cool. Yeah. And that was the big thing. When the, when the movie action figures came out, those were the coolest because they, mm-hmm. they were like a little bit bigger, but they were much more detailed and... Uh, since they were made out of rubber instead of like hard plastic, they were flexible. You could do more ninja stuff with them. They didn't have as many points of, I, I, I think they either had the exact same amount of points of articulation, but the fact that they were rubber meant you could bend them easier and do more cool ninja shit with them. Right. I do find it funny that the fact that the reason why this became a pop culture phenomenon is because a, uh, Shrewd versus businessman saw the the opportunities for merchandising right after the pu- book was published, which led to the cartoon, which led to the movie, which led to more merchandising. Which yeah, it, it was literally like chicken creating egg, creating chicken creating egg over and over again. And then we get to Ninja Turtles three, and we get chicken and that chip. is the most delicious omelet of all time. <laughs> because well, like you were saying about like. It, it, I actually did not know this until I was older about how the, the toy line was spawned by the comic, not 
not the cartoon cartoon and how the cartoon was spawned in in response to the toy line right like we need something to market this let's make a cartoon let's make a mini series oh yeah but you, you got to think of the time because of how many cartoons in the 80s that were popular were just commercials 22 minute commercials with commercials built in between you think of like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers. They are just there to sell toys. So much so that, that the U.S. government had to get involved with it. would say like, that's why you need to have a, some kind of educational PSA at the end of episodes. So it's not just, you're just marketing the children. You need to have some kind of educational value linked with it. But G.I. Joe taught us never to trust those damn reds. Yeah. Those damn commie reds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and like, and so, it is curious that the cartoon, and even the cartoon itself, was not a ongoing thing. It was just a limited series. It was a five-episode miniseries. Well, what I found funny with the toys, too, is that the toys were clearly, at least in my mind as a kid, the toys were inspired by the cartoon in my mind as a kid because I would see something on the cartoon or the movie, and then I'd see a toy of it. But the packaging was inspired by the comic, and I always wonder, like, why does this look so odd? And I remember there was actually a line of the toys that were based on the cartoon, where they had, like, the, the, the big eyes and the big smiles. They weren't just, like, you know, the the white eyes under the, the bandana looks. with the grimacing look, you know? Mm-hmm. And I always found it weird, because it's like, why does the art style and the packaging look like this when something from the cartoon? I, I do find it, like, funny that... that- it wasn't until the merchandising of the action figures themselves that they each individual character, the turtles, got their own distinct color for their mm-hmm. headbands because the the East, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird um, publishing of it was done in black and white because it was cheaper because this was an independent comic and it was done uh, as a a one off just like hey let's do this and let's parody. Let's parody what what's the biggest comics of the time right now. We have Frank Miller's Daredevil. Uh, we have the New Mutants and uh, Frank Miller's Ronin. And well, I know I know the inspiration came to was it Eastman or Laird after they were watching like a night of like B horror movies and they just started they just started drawing. It's like something yeah. came to the mind. You know what? Let me just draw something really really B movie and and stupid Very involving schlocky. a turtle. Yeah, and, and so that's what led to like all right, well let's have them as the turtles and like how the one of the biggest things that was running through Frank Miller's run of Daredevil Comics, there was a mysterious organization called The Hand, which was a ninja organization that was very um, unknown to uh, Matt Murdock and was pulling the strings from the shadows and everything. And, of course, what's the parody of it? You get hand, you get foot. Well, look at their origin, too, how, how this radioactive accident and a canister flies out, hits a guy in the head, and a kid drops his thing of turtles. It's like it, it – and in Daredevil – same shit, right? Yeah, I, I think uh, some people have. I'm not an a- avid Daredevil reader. Some people have created their own headcanon that saying that that was Matt Murdock carrying the, the turtles, and the chemicals that blinded him is what mutated uh, the turtles. I'm, you know, I'm sh- actually shocked that that was not the first comic crossover out of all the uh, out of all this fucking schlocky comic crossovers. Mm-hmm. Batman and Ninja. Where's Daredevil and Ninja Turtles? Where they just finally put it on paper and say, you know what? That's what happened. I, I think this IDW has a greater a working relationship with DC Comics versus Marvel. But then again, you got late eighties, early nineties. You have freaking Spawn hanging out with Batman, and like that's not worth. If but Batman can fight an alien and a predator and still live. Daredevil can team up with the Ninja Turtles, right? Didn't Judge Judge Dredd and Batman teamed up at one point? Sure, why not? Of course. Ghostbusters, Ninja Turtles, where the fuck is Daredevil Ninja Turtles? Let's just get this shit out here and stop dicking around. Now, why we didn't have the real Ghostbusters and the Ninja Turtles team up in an animated cartoon like episode... Because that was the 80s and things were sane back then, even though they were on a lot more cocaine. 
I say stop every, doing opioids and start doing cocaine again. Every franchise doesn't need to be combined. But money. <laughs> I hate this, you. This is America. Not you, just, just everyone. <laughs> like, I hate you. I know. And so... I hate you, planet. <laughs> and so, were you a fan of the cartoon series? Fuck yeah, okay. everybody was. I wouldn't own so many action figures if, and, and play sets and shit if I wasn't. I used to watch it all the time, but I'm, I, I'm having so much trouble remembering it mm-hmm. right now, just watching it in its day. Uh, fucking, I remember you you had an idea for a podcast of like reviewing both 2003 and 87 cartoons. I'm just like, it's, it's just not there. Like, I was not an avid watcher of the 2003 one. I kind of moved on. I watched a few episodes, and we'll talk about that here, because mm-hmm. they did also adapt some shit from the comics and the movie. But I was having so much trouble remembering the 80s one. Mm-hmm. I watched Ninja Turtles, The Next Mutation. Right. Oh. The, 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 the sequel to Ninja Turtles 3. Yeah, I remember that. Where Splinter looks like he just came from a fucking taxidermy shop. <laughs> Probably you're there was probably no not or, far off. It probably, probably Norman was, Bates probably made that. It Twitter. probably was like a real animal that was stitched together out of multiple and then just poured on the set. I bet you it was like some kind of really cheap special effects guy that maybe it was a little odd. Everything that was just from his personal collection, and they said, "Hey, this could be split right." I dress up in this and I go go to secret parties. <laughs> Who invites you? They don't invite me. They don't invite me. I just show up. <laughs> I always have trouble sitting down when it's over. <laughs> Anything goes. I, I, now I hate people. Like how you felt a moment ago. That's how I feel. And But yes, big fan of the Turtles cartoon. Big fan of everything Turtles. I kind of do remember when things really started to wind down. I remember this movie was huge. This movie actually, if memory serves me well, is my first ever theater-going experience. Really? I cannot confirm that. I may have gone to something when I was even littler, but it's the, it was the, my earliest memory of going to a movie Younger. theater. What? Nothing. Fuck you. We're in my house, bitch. I could use whatever kind of words I want. All right. I... It was the bestest movie of all time. Because <laughs> I, 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 it had ninjas in it. <laughs> I don't see any dictionary or the sources around here, so do you know what? Why not? I keep them from you. Oh, why? So you look up a, it, you, so you can't look up puns in the thesaurus. You can't look up words that you could use as puns. But anyways, went to the, see the first movie, loved it. Didn't go to see the second movie, but also loved it. Mm-hmm. And I do remember that I, seeing, I had it on tape for a while, the, the 1991 primetime special. It was like a, a hour-long episode where they combine like two episodes when they go to like the planet of the turtles. Mm-hmm. And that's when, in their minute, while they're away in the miniature Technodrome, Shredder and Krang build Chrome Dome, and he has a one weak point on his back because they just happen to run out of that super metal, and they use regular old like steel. Mm-hmm. But they had captured April, and then she conveniently told Donatello, who hit him in that one weak spot with his bow staff, huh. and won the day. Because you know, Planet of the Turtleoids, I think it was. But yeah, that sounds sure. familiar. Yeah. Um... That's a curious thing there. And so, like, did you dress up as any of the turtles for, like, Halloween or anything? Or. Did I? Because that was a very popular Halloween costume for years after the Turtle Craze hit. I don't know if I did. The the earliest real Halloween costume I know is I went as the Flash in 1990, of course, after the fucking TV series Mm -hmm. for first grade. Uh, Did you open the gates of hell? No. Um, My mother actually made that costume from scratch. 
Really? But she would not make the, the eye holes for the mask. It was more of a hood because she thought I was going to run into the street and get run over because I couldn't see. It's like, well, I, and I'm thinking of myself as an adult now. Well, wouldn't you, my parent, be watching me at all times? Maybe. I don't think she wanted to watch you. I think, I think, I think, I think that's where you're you're leading to yourself towards. I guess, but hmm. anywho, so yeah, and then we had nothing for two years until Turtles three, which I I don't think horribly of Turtles three. It's definitely a step down, but I was entertained as a kid. And then just after that, that was when Power Rangers came out, and it was kind of like, wait, Ninja Turtles? That that's a thing. Ninja who? I didn't realize that the the animated series went on as long as it did. It went on until like 97, 98. Yeah. It was like a full 10, nearly 10 years. I think it was over 10 years. Really? I think it was 11 years or so. Because I, I, I know. 10 or 11. By like season five or six, there was a complete revamp of the series where like the sky is always red. It looked like the Batman, the animated series. And Krang and Shredder are no longer the villain at that point. Yeah. They went away for a while. Right. And it was a new alien that was their yeah. main antagonist throughout. And I'm sure somebody will correct us for... Uh, we me. didn't watch this shit. This is just going to show how unpopular Ninja Turtles had become by that point. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and Batman, I'd say Batman the Animated Series and Power Rangers really took over as like the two things. Right. Cause, God, so many Saturday morning cartoons, I remember. <laughs> and so many that I watch. And just channel surfing between like all the like CBS NBC didn't have much that I really wanted to watch. They had Alvin and the Chipmunks, but that ended very early. They didn't have a sequel. Fuck you! I'm gonna throw this fucking controller at your skull. No, this was before they made squeakles. And... Okay, I'm I'm sorry if I'm pushing your buttons. I could just leave right now. Like I could, like one of these days, I'm literally just gonna walk off and I'm just gonna leave you fucking hanging, <laughs> and you'll legitimately get pissed off and you'll wonder why. Nope. <laughs> Want to test that? <laughs> Not tonight. We're committed. We're pod committed. I'm right? fucking committed, all right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're going to be committed. That's you murder psych me. ward. Yeah. <laughs> I strangle you with your headphone cord. I know. Make a pun. You didn't hear that coming or whatever. No, I don't want to uh, wrap up the conversation. Yeah, there, really. see, there he goes. <laughs> fucking jizz mopper over here. <laughs> that is a... Do it. Make one. Make a pun. Go ahead. <laughs> no. Go ahead. Make a fucking pun. <laughs> no. I was going to say that's legitimate occupation. It should not uh, be smirched the, the jizz moppers of the world. Mm-hmm. It's not like we have porno theaters anymore. Yeah, um, we have houses now. <laughs> every ho- every home is a porno theater. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I got, a fun- I got a funny story. I got to tell you off, Mike. <laughs> and so I don't want to hear it. No, no, no. If, if it's something you don't want to share on on this, I don't want to hear it. No, it's because it's about a family member. That'd be, it's funny. Don't worry about it. Oh god, family member, <laughs> and we're talking about jizz. So my experience with Ninja Turtles is I remember seeing Ninja Turtles one and three on VHS at a very early age, and especially at. Um, my nan and granddad's house because they had those VHS t- tapes like just like there for whenever ever any of the grandchildren would come over they could watch them as well as much like how I watched Batman the animated series I didn't watch a lot of Batman the animated series like in reruns I a little bit but majority of the episodes I watched were ones that came on the VHS tapes and they would have a couple episodes per tape I got to watch those live as they aired <sighs> and that, that and, and that what always made me mad about the Mr. Freeze one is that it didn't have Heart of Ice on it it was the second one where he's kidnapped by the evil Walt Disney to make him immortal. And the second episode on that tape was Maxie's use of all things. <laughs> the evil Walt Disney should have told him to let it go. Oh. Oh. 
Uh, <laughs> you see, my jokes don't need a horn. <laughs> no, I just do it to emphasize how stupid this is. <laughs> well, the, the discourse of this conversation or my jokes? Everything involved. <laughs> and, and so the episodes I remember of the Ninja Turtles I watched the most were the... Uh, when the the police force do build their own version of RoboCop and helps ends up uh, helping out the Ninja Turtles at one point. Uh, there was an episode where they, the Krang and Shredder put alien eggs on pizzas in order for them to be mutated in order to kill the turtles. And there was another episode, I think, um, they're trying to s- s- steal this rare... Um, Elements that a rich person had and they required a masquerade ball. But the problem was once the element got underground because the bad guys get away with it, it couldn't handle the pressure of being subterranean and blew up in front of Krang, nearly killing him. Oh. And so Ninja Turtles 2, I did not see to like I was a couple years later. And as a child, I didn't have a problem like you. I didn't have that much of a problem with Ninja Turtles 3. It was just another Ninja Turtles movie. Same way, like, when I saw the four Batman movies in the 80s and 90s, it's like, those are just Batman movies. I didn't really discern, like, oh, this one's good and what this one's not. I could tell there was a difference in at least the photography of the three of them. I'm just like, okay, the first one's very dark-looking because it's it's a dark, it's a dimly lit film, and it's on VHS and watching on CRTVs, so it's not the greatest quality in the world. Well, I never knew about quality and that shit until many years later. No, that's a retrospect of me acknowledging it. And I remember my cousin Kevin gave me a cassette tape of the soundtrack of Ninja Turtles 3. Because I remember it opened up with the ZZ Top song. Oh, yeah. I I bought that album just on that song alone. Yes. And then I think there was Tarzan Man. Tarzan Boy. Tarzan Boy. uh, Because that's when the uh, samurai of the past are dancing in the club when they're in the future. And during the end credits. And Listerine also used that song for an ad. Listerine? uh, You know what? I'm not surprised. Where you had the the Listerine bottle dressed up in the Tarzan fucking onesie or whatever, swinging through the trees. Yeah, this is a time when you can pretty much do anything in a commercial and nobody, everybody buy it. Like Pizza Hut, I think, or Pizza Hut or Donald's had a talking pizza slice as a mascot for a couple. Pizza Hut. Yeah. I remember the the, the pizza slice. Yeah. That thing was, that thing was cool. I, I, the one commercial that I, it always sticks in my mind is that it was they had a tie-in with the re-releases of Star Wars, and they stuck the pizza slice in an X-Wing, and they <laughs> they cut into footage of him doing the uh, trench run, and he's one of the X-Wings that gets blown up by Darth Vader, and it's, it turns into like a Mr. Mr. Bill sketch right there with him being blown up. At the I end think of the, the voice was very similar to Mr. Bill too. I think it's supposed to be a like a an homage, yeah. if you, as you were to Mr. Bill. Well, then you also had that. You had the Noid, who does we found out makes an appearance in this movie. Thanks and to the, Noid the had, advent of HD, and the Noid had its own video game. And speaking, yeah, I can't believe it. I can't. I, I, Chester, I, I, Chester Cheeto and Cool Spot had their own video games. Yeah. Like, I knew if the Noid had a video game because I was brought up on a podcast I, th- I heard, like, maybe, like, two years ago, and I was just dumbfounded by that concept. And speaking of video games, there was the NES Ninja Turtles game, which I played religiously as a child. I was terrible at it. I was going to say, did you ever beat it? Fuck no. I still can't get past the, I can't get past the, the dam with the bombs. I think I think the, the strategy for that is that you just have to... Zip it. Zip it. Go and right like, through. Yeah, and just, like, take the hits as you Don't go. Don't strategize. Yeah. Just go, mo- run, motherfucker. But run, yeah, I, motherfucker, run. I never got past that. And fucking, but then there was also Turtles 2, which I know some friends had. 
because that was based off of the 1989 arcade game, which I did not play very often. Mm-hmm. I think I played Turtles in Time more, but at that point, when Turtles in Time came out, Turtle popularity was waning. Um, I know my cousin also had Turtles 3, Manhattan Project on Super Nintendo. That I played quite a bit. That was where they really got like the graphics down nicely. The turtles looked like mo- a lot more like the turtles. Their animations were better, and there were t- like villains from all over the place, movies and. I was to say, wasn't the Tyantrons in Manhattan Project? The what? The 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 triant the Triceratop like creatures. I think they're in Manhattan Project. I don't know because I might not have gotten that far, but I know like I know, Super Shredder I, I, is the I final boss. The, I can see the art in, in my mind's eye, yeah. and, and so I assume it's in there. I know you fight like damn near. It's it's like the gauntlet of villains. Like you have Bebop and Rocksteady, but you also have Slash. You have Baxter Stockman, I think, and you also have Toka and Razor. And Super Shredder is the final boss. I think I played Turtles in Time on an arcade, but like so many arcade games at the time, it, they were just quarter eaters. Because the games were tough. I mean, I was just not that good of a gamer. And I do. I have uh, the very short-lived Turtles in Time reshelled the 3D remake on play, on uh, PlayStation 3. Oh, shit. No longer available. Mm. God bless you, digital world we live in, where nothing's fucking available anymore. No. I'm still mad at myself for missing the fucking re-release of Simpsons Arcade. Oh, shit. Yep. Hey, That's why people emulate stuff. <laughs> if you don't make it available legally, normally... They're going to fucking pirate it. Yeah, and now they're owned by Disney. They're always great with their releases of video games. Like, they don't develop anything in-house at all. Well, they did do those recent re-releases of Aladdin and Lion King. Yeah, because I think that, I think the license is finally lapsed to the people who actually produced them in it originally. And we did see that remake of Mickey Mouse Castle of Illusion. So, I don't know. They're fucking wonky when it comes to their games. They probably just don't give a shit. They don't. I think it, I think it's abundantly clear over the releases throughout their tenure as IP creating um, conglomerates for uh, video games. But so the movie. <laughs> you know, before we go any further, it's funny. Like um, on the other podcast on Please Rewind, we had a twenty minute tangent on the the pros and cons of streaming and physical media because of like of. Licensing uh, lapsing and everything, like how you can lose everything, and that's why I still prefer physical and yada, 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 and everything. But it's obviously streaming is there for convenience. I, I get it. I understand it. Because last night, I don't, I'm like, I have to go downstairs and get that and bring it back up if I want to watch it. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. But I forced myself to because I'm like, I want to watch Breaking Bad to go to bed with. And that's what I did. But I still say, buy physical people. If you can afford it and you have the space, do it. And so the movie actually came about at the height of the Turtle Mania. You know, I wouldn't even call, say it came about at the height. I'd say it was the height. Really? I'd say I would consider this to be the, the fucking highest point of the of the entire Ninja Turtles craze, franchise, whatever. Mm-hmm. I would say this is the peak. Uh, it came about in 1988 as the, the toy line animated series were, were, were doing good. They were kicking ass. Um... Producers Kim Dawson and Gary Proper got the idea, let's make a mo- like anything successful, let's make a movie. You know, right. this could be a successful movie. Um, they shopped around to every studio, and it was fucking rejected. I am actually reading, I have here, a uh, article from five years ago from The Hollywood Reporter, a mm-hmm. whole retrospective on how this movie actually had quite the troubled production. Yeah, it did. Quite. It, the- I mean, like from just the securing of the financing to get it started to... Getting Jim Henson's help in order to 
pay Jim Henson, and then Steve Barron coming on, and then G- Steve Barron leaving the project before it was completed. It, leaving it was, got fired. That's still a little murky. Yeah, and he still wants his cut of the first movie to be released. One man's quit is another man's fired. Yeah. But the two of them were, uh, Dawson and Proper, they were shopping around. And of all places, they got to get of all studios I got to was Golden Harvest known right. for Bruce Lee films yeah, and out of were, China yeah and they're also they were big um, supporters and funders of like Jackie Chan movies as well I mean they, so martial arts was that a, was the martial arts studio yes. and I know that Raymond Chow the the I guess owner CEO runner whatever he was the big wig behind Golden Harvest I remember seeing years back um Watching Bruce Lee documentaries, he was a bit of a recluse for a little while. He wasn't really like the most interview guy, very business minded, mm-hmm. but he gave some interviews based on like the Bruce Lee thing I was watching. But they greenlit the movie for $3 million. Right. And unfortunately, after a little while, it they hired on, you know, Steve Barron to direct. Because he had came off successful music videos, including AHA's Take On Me and Michael Jackson's Beat It. Mm-hmm. So he was known for being very creative with camera and being able to do things on a shoestring budget. Well, what was cool was that he, uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird got to meet him. And he had gone through – Steve Barron was the guy who had the, the idea of really combining the two worlds, the dark comics, because he had shown them that he had gone through several of the comics. And within like the first 10 to 11 issues – he pointed out like this, 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 and this. These, this is our story, mm-hmm. and it borrows so heavily, like so well. That's why I feel it. I'm going to say this right now. I feel that Ninja Turtles. Uh, we like we like to we like to speak in fact as best as we can. We don't like to add a you know if we add opinion, we'll say in my opinion, whatever. I don't like being one of those people that treats opinion as fact. But I'm going to say right here, right now, make a statement. This movie is the single greatest representation of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Fight me, motherfuckers. I think you say about comics in general. I'm like, no, I was going to say Sin City is, because I think that's the most literal translation of... Ah, but I'm not talking about a literal translation of comics. I'm talking about combining the perfect hybrid of the dark storytelling and initial spark of the comics Mm -hmm. with the more lighthearted, character-driven fantasy world of the animated series and melding them together. Right. You have interesting characters with personalities that you find likable. Their interactions are great. And then you put them in a story where they are heavily challenged, heavily tested, have their moments when hope looks all lost, but they overcome and persevere. Right. Uh, and you know what? I, I by, by melding these two together, I feel that this is the this movie is the single greatest representation of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I think that's why thirty years later, this is still so revered. And we'll get into it as we go, like beat by beat of it. Later and I know on. there are people out there that can't stand the fucking animated series because they have no joy in their life. Ooh, dark comics, dark, dark. It's got to be dark, always dark. Oh yeah, there, there, there's people I know that say if if whatever comic property is not taken super fucking serious without an ounce. Of levity or any kind of joyfulness whatsoever, you know, it's, it's pure trash. It's like, nah, no, it's no, that's got to be taken so fucking seriously. Then how do you get into anything? Spider-Man is a is a fun-loving, wise-cracking, humor-filled character who who has these awful things happen to him, and he perseveres because of the responsibility that was instilled in him. You see, like that's why, like, but that's why you learn to love Spider-Man because he's this wise-cracking, funny character who who 
his personal life may suck and just, oh, shucks, I wish I could get the girl. I wish I could fucking not get evicted from my apartment. I, I wish, wish I could my, help. I wish my I wish I could help aunt, out my aunt, aunt more. Would stop dying. Yeah, I wish I could help out my aunt more. Like like that every man thing. But he always remains like this wisecracking positive attitude when he's Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes you like him. Yeah. The Ninja Turtles, they're these fun-loving – they're teenagers. They're fun-loving teenagers. Right. And I think like they, you got to have – some love it. It's got to be some kind of joy. It's got because it, it, if it's all serious and everything like that, it, it becomes joyless and it becomes. I'm gonna say sterile. Mani- uh, sterile or like the people uh, who think that way. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I'm just like, you know what? Like, if it's not, if it's not, if you're gonna have that obscene of a standard right there, I'm like, all right, die joyless. I'm sorry. I'm like, I, like I'm not gonna waste my time like that. Sure, it can go, it can go too far in the joyful and too, too comicky, too gimmicky. That also happens. There are two extremes on either side of it, like that. I like because we're huge fans of Batman '89. Batman '89 is up until that time was the ser- most serious representation of Batman on the big screen or any screen of that matter. But it had some humor to it, and mm-hmm. it's still funny. And he, even in his dark moments, that's where the that's where the humor comes at the most. Well, I feel like just the the personalities that were injected into the turtles as individuals, not to mention the color coding, mm-hmm. but by the. Um, Animated series, that's endured. That is endured throughout the history of the Turtles. Yeah. Even in the, the, the 2014, you know, Michael Bay produced movie, that was my favorite part of it. The Turtles themselves and their interactions with oh, each yeah. other. Well, because we saw that on the big screen. We saw yeah. it on the big screen and we walked away from it like, it wasn't half bad. Yeah, because like, we had like zero expectations going into it. So like, we, we were expecting the worst. Yeah. I was entertained enough by it. I, yeah. I, I could point out everything I thought that was stupid and I didn't like. But overall, what sold me on it was the turtles themselves. And I, I'm the type of person where if you win me over with the characters, you could present any fucking shit story to me. As long as the story, it can be dumb, it can be stupid. As long as it's not, you know, contradicting and doesn't make fucking sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I'll buy into it. I don't care. That's why you like Scream 3. That's why I like Scream 3. It's why I didn't walk out of Rise of Skywalker wanting to kill myself because mm-hmm. I like those characters. Mm-hmm. It's why, well, I kind of gave up on Assassin's Creed after a while. But like when well, I, the annual releases will do that to well, you. Well, Assassin's Creed Revelations, which really was the weakest one because Ezio had his big arc by gaining revenge for his family. Mm-hmm. But we have this last one when he's an old man and just the, the, the intertwining of the stories of him and Altair. I like those characters and how it was an ending for everybody except Desmond. It was mm-hmm. the ending of Altair's story, ending of Ezio's story. And Ezio, we met since he was fucking born. Right. And then there's the little short film, Assassin's Creed Embers, of when he's even older, t- like 10 years after Revelations and when he dies. Mm-hmm. And it's like, shit, man, you just win me over with gay characters and I'll care about the story you put in front of me, even if it sucks. Yeah, I mean, that's also why you still have a favorable feeling towards Godfather 3, because you enjoy those characters. You yeah. enjoy seeing the end of what happens to Michael Corleone. Well, I don't enjoy seeing it happen, well, no, but yeah, it's just but like... You're it, entertained it, by it. 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 I don't know about entertained, but it, it affects me on an emotional level. It, mm-hmm. it, it pulls me in. It pulls me back. Hoo-ha! God damn it, you beat me to it. <laughs> and so, yeah, like, after that, like once they realized no other studio was going to be able to do it in the United States for the Ninja Turtles, they realized, all right, we're going to have to do this ourselves, and we're not going to – and like, one of the ideas that was kicking around, they're going to kind of do it a mixture of live-action animation combined, very akin to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But that would have been cost even more trying to do that. And so they said, like, all right, we got to do this with animatronics. And, like, who's the best people to do animatronics and puppets? Jim Henson. Jim Henson. And they had a problem. $3 million wasn't going to cover fucking Jim Henson. Henson knew his value. Yep. And by this point, the budget was getting towards 
Ooh, excuse me, I'm very gassy right now. Mm-hmm. The the you know six million and up. Yeah. So they had to shop around for quite a bit. Fox was there as a dis- distribution company, but they pulled out because the, uh, their manager changed. Uh, of course. So you know, after looking around like crazy, New Line Cinema came into the picture. Mm-hmm. New Line has had it so fucking. New Line is such a weird story. It's like. They're this independent company who always, like, every decade manages to hit it fucking huge. Yeah. And then just, like, fade into obscurity for some reason. Well, because I think that they played smart and, like, with the exception of the Lord of the Rings franchise, which they they bet the farm on. Um, That's what I was going to go with because it was, like, Nightmare on Elm Street. They're one big hit. Gets them up there. And then they petered down. And the Ninja Turtles and skyrocketed the stratosphere then petered down. Then Lord of the Rings, fucking, they fucking they're, flight of Icarus, except their wings didn't melt. No. Well, did they? No. I mean, because they were eventually acquired by uh, Warner Brothers. Yeah. subsidiary now. And now all the Conjuring films, that's them. They're like all that shit's done through them, and mm-hmm. so and like some of the DC characters are also being done by New Line Cinema as well, and so like yeah, New Line Cinema, no matter what, they're like it's kind of like it's the you know, it's the line from Rock, I think it's from I think it's from Rocky Five. I think it's like I didn't hear no bell, or is that from Rocky Two? Like I didn't hear no bell. I think it's five when he's talking to Tommy Gunn in the street. Yeah. My ring's outside. <laughs> like, really? The last four movies didn't really show your ring being no. outside even once. Your ring was kind of in the ring, sir. <laughs> if you've been punched in the head too many times. <laughs> if we start our Patreon... My ring is around my finger. Because <laughs> I, I love Adrian. I had to put it when I lost all my money. <laughs> if we start our Patreon and we reach a certain goal, we'll cover the Rocky series, ladies and gentlemen. I eat paint chips every day. That's why I talk like this. I couldn't afford anything else because I was boxing too much. <laughs> Instead of that song, like, I was going to go to school, but then I got high. Uh, then I got high. Imagine <laughs> Sylvester Stallone singing that. <laughs> I was the only fight. I was in Drago, but, but then, then I, I got, got high. high. Then I got high. high. Then I got high. And so- <laughs> you good? No. <laughs> Am I ever? And so... Once that came about, like the, I guess the final budget was like thirteen million. Yeah, I, I think that's like between like eight to thirteen. That's where it's where it's landed. And so, New Line Cinema was pretty much just a distribution house at that point. So this was the one of the largest independently produced movies at the time, and it would we'll get to the box office a little later unless yeah. you want to do it now. It made over a hundred million dollars. Yeah. So. I mean, Very I, successful independent film. It was the most successful independent movie su- uh, superseding Halloween at that point, but it would only hold that record for nine years. Wasn't until- Star Wars really the most successful independent film? Because it was only distribu- distributed by, for- by, 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 for- by Forks. <laughs> forks. <laughs> by Fox. Yes. They ran the film from theater to theater via Forks. Use the Forks, forks Homer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That whole most extended, successful independent film, I think a lot more research needs to be done. Yeah. That's also, that's Everybody not, says that their film yeah, is Yeah, that's the also most like successful. saying Sundance is an independent uh, film festival. Like, no, it's just it's just Hollywood when they want to pretend like they're independent. Yeah. So, whatever. That's, nah, that, that would be like myself never to get into Sundance right That's now. like Panera. It's like, we're not fast food. Look, we have wooden paneling all over the wall. <laughs> and we, and we, <laughs> we don't give you a number. We want your name because you're our guest. Look at these fucking ciabatta rolls. You could wring out all the fucking oil <laughs> into a cup. <laughs> you walk into Panera. B. Oh. 
guess. Yes, that's what that's what they think. <laughs> that's what they think like, they're doing. Oh, this is just fast food. <laughs> this is fucking lettuce tastes like a gym sock. <laughs> sweaty gym sock. You've tasted many uh, sweaty gym socks in your day. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, times are tough, you know? The, the economy. That's all I got to say. The economy, yeah. Like, you got a history, man. It's not like you were um, installing uh, fire alarms that the economy crashed and you had to end up going to a, a website that makes fun of you for 10 years. Become enslaved by, by friends since high school. No, thankfully. Oh, my God. How, how terrible would it be, like, if it was your high school friends that came to, like, hey... We can do this, but we got to make fun of you on camera the entire time. Uh, if the money was good, okay. <laughs> I mean, you allow you you endure my torment, and you I make fun free. of you more than anything else. Uh, true, but you like I, I don't make fun of you for me to come back. So. What you keep asking for me to come back? Well, I'm glutton for punishment, so I think that's beside, that's beside the point. Anywho's, yeah. But yes, as we said before, Jim Henson studio coming on was probably the, one of the biggest game changer of all. Um, Jim Henson. Uh, trivia note was actually the first celebrity death I really recall. Really? Yes. Huh. That was the first. That was the first time I I like. You know, God damn it! It's so weird because it's like I had gone to a funeral of a family friend, which I do remember, and that was like eighty eight, eighty nine. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I like was told what death is, and I didn't understand it. And then when Jim Henson died, I remember asking, "What is death?" It's it's so weird. my memories are so fucking. Jumbled. It's like I could play certain things. Maybe my maybe my tiny stupid brain forgot. Mm-hmm. Someone death was explained to me, but Jim Henson was like the first major celebrity death I can recall. Mine was Chris Farley, and I just me- and I remember I think it was, I don't know if it was People magazine that had that photo of him. It's him on like a he's like he's on his knees and he's on like a beach and he's got like a a jacket and he's got a ukulele and like a Hawaiian shirt on. I think that was like the tribute uh, issue for him. I remember like that was just, that's just the image that sticks in my mind. I think of the passing of Chris Farley and that was the first celebrity death that I remember. But, and it's because of the passing of Jim Henson or like the, how sick Jim was at the time that he, his son, Brian was the lead person, the puppeteer on this movie. Yeah. Um, and God, what puppeteering work we had fucking, this movie would have crashed if it weren't for the fucking animatronics. Oh, no, This movie yeah. would have crashed and fucking burned. The, the turtle suits were these big, like, foam latex suits that, that the actors had to mold themselves into basically from head to toe. Yeah. With, like, just straws sticking out of their nose so they could breathe for mm-hmm. God knows how long. The suits were molded, and the heads were – had these so many, like, radio-controlled servos and motors removing every point of articulation on a face. Yeah. I, there was an old uh, making of Turtles 2 VHS I used to rent all the time, and I just saw it the other day on YouTube. Someone posted it. Technology was still the same at that point, but they're, like, demoing the Turtles talking, and it looks like a dismembered head just sitting there talking to you. That's how realistic it looks. Oh, my God. And the way it's controlled is you have a puppeteer off screen. You have your actor in the suit. You know, he's em- he's emoting with his body language and everything. You have the animatronic head over top. Mm-hmm. And to the side, you have the puppeteer. He's got over his hand like this metal glove that he almost does like sock puppet miming with mm-hmm. that moves like all the mouth points and stuff. And he's got a uh, like looks like a fucking joystick in his hand yeah, where he's moving like all the other points, I guess, around the eyes, face and cheeks and whatever. And he's got a like a headset with a microphone and he's doing the onset speech audio. Right. The puppeteer to keep obviously to keep himself in sync. Mm hmm. And the puppeteers and the actors had to get to know each other and, and work together quite well and work with each other a lot. 
so that they almost become like an extension of one another. Like when, when the actor moves in the suit a certain way, the puppeteer knows, okay, he's emoting this mm-hmm. when it gets to this point in the script. Um, McKellen Sisti, who was in the suit actor for Michelangelo, mm-hmm. he described the, 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 wearing the animatronic head was you have the whirring of all these motors in there. In one ear, you have, your actual instructions from on set. And in the other, you have like the general like on set stuff. It's, he said he described it as being like claustrophobic grand central station all day long. Right. And, and like, you can't just take that head off either. No, like, you need like, you need assistance to get, to get that off. And the tur- a lot of the, they were losing like five pounds a day in water weight because it is sweating so much, sweating so fucking much. And because so much of the wires and everything like that and a lot of the built-in electronics is also built into the shell. Yes, all that was stored in the shell and the suit as a result the suits weighed like seventy pounds. Yeah. Now for action scenes, obviously they didn't use the same ones. They had ones without any of that stuff. Where the shell was just I guess I don't know if it was I, I hollow. Shall, I assume. It was a shell of its former self. I'm Fuck keeping, you. I'm keeping that silence in there. Fuck you and, and, and the horse you rode in on when you look at other people for their pun. Yeah. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, buddy. Yeah. I, I, I dubbed thee the pun king, and you know what? I will look down upon other people. I who dubbed these nuts, motherfucker. <laughs> but anywho, the shells did not, the action scene shells did not have any electronics, and as a result, the faces could not move. They would, I guess they would... They would lock them in a certain position and they keep them and they would keep it like that, or like, like you grim could, his face on during the entire fight. Yes. I like when Michelangelo is doing his nunchucking demonstration against the foot soldier. He has the same just like look on his face the whole time. No blinking, no nothing. Mm-hmm. During a lot of the fight scenes, like you said, they have the grimacing. But what's cool is that the fight scenes are so fast paced and, and go by so quickly. Like they'll turn their heads and you don't notice these things. No. So that helped. And for many of the fight scenes, Steve Barron would shoot those at a lower frame rate and right. then speed it back up because the suits were he- still heavy. Yeah. The actors moved slower, mm-hmm. so they wanted it to look like it was more natural movement. Yeah, I think it was like, like 22 or 21 frames per second. It's, it's yes. just a little enough. It's not like a silent film or anything like that where it's like you speed up the footage and it looks glaring to everything else in the environment. Like, oh, this is definitely sped up footage. Yes. So for our cast of Turtles... In our um, primary cast in the suits, we had David Foreman as Leonardo. Now, each of these guys would also have a secondary. Was he the Foreman ca- on the crew? Fuck you. He would actually have a, a secondary like cameo role later. On um, what was his, what was his? He was uh, uh, just like a thug at the end of the film. Yes, David Foreman. Uh, Donatello's in suit performer was Leif Tilden. Mm-hmm. He was the the Foot Clan messenger that slaps April in the face. Right. Uh, Josh Pius, who was in Scream 3 as yeah. the, the partner. Yeah. He was making a movie called, called Stabbed. Stabbed. He was, was Stabbed. He, he was Stabbed. He was Raphael. And he also did the voice. The voice cast was completely separate. Because he had the, the, just the perfect accent yeah, the for New that York voice. voice. But he was uh, um, the passenger in the cab when Raphael is chasing Casey and he jumps over. He said, what the heck was that? Look like a big turtle. A trans- trans- oh, look at audio, right? <laughs> and we had, like I said, Mikhail Insisti as Michelangelo, and he was the Domino's pizza guy at the beginning of the movie delivering the pizza. That scene, when I was a, a stupid baby, fucked me up for years because I'm wondering, how is Michelangelo talking to himself if that's his performer out of the costume? When I didn't know how filmmaking worked because mm-hmm. I didn't have a developed brain because I was a stupid baby who who probably licked too many windows. <laughs> 
<laughs> but some of these guys were also stunt doubles. I believe Mikel and Sisti and David Foreman were mo- trained, trained martial, martial artists. Yes. Trained martial artists. Uh, Ken Traum would be Raphael's martial arts stunt double. And Ernie Reyes Jr., who would go on to play Kino in the Ninja Turtles 2, was Donatello's stunt performer. Which I always found a little weird because I'm like, all right, does that mean there's another person in the costume then when he's in scenes with Donatello? Or they just conveniently keep him out of frame when that's happening? I think in the second movie they got another stunt performer because okay. he was his own cast member. I don't think you could double that again. Right. No, things changed for the second movie. Some people, a lot of people didn't come back. Right. I know Josh Pies pre- didn't I'm come back. I'm pretty sure that was probably a union gig anyway at yeah. that point. But as for voices, because I, I, I'm glad that looking back as an adult, like another thing when I was a stupid baby and I didn't give two shits, I got to see the trailer. I think they played it on Channel 11 mm-hmm. before Ninja Turtles one morning. What? Do it was a WPIX? Yeah, w, WPIX New York. Mm-hmm. That was was that what was that what Ninja was that or Channel Seven Ninja Turtles? I don't know. Might have been Seven. One of the two, but the channel that Ninja Turtles was on did air the trailer once, and mm-hmm. I I remember a bit of the hype. I don't remember it too well, but I know there's a movie coming out. I knew it looked cool. The ADR they used, I don't know if that was just the on-set ADR and they kept it in there or they did this just for the trailer, but oh my God, as an adult watching this back, I actually thought when, Mike, when they get to the Michelangelo part, God, I love being a turtle. I thought that was Raphael. I, I, it probably was like one of the things where it was just the on-set audio because you think of like... Well, it sounded very clear, so it might have just been, hey, hey, Phil. You got a sec? I just need you to record this voice of this trailer. Right. But I work in accounting. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's a fucking trailer. <laughs> I was going to say, like, how many voices in the video game history have happened like that? Because there's oh, just yeah. somebody in the office that grabbed him to do a voice. Mm-hmm. But when you hear Michelangelo do the, God, I, it's like, yeah, I love Ron. being a turtle. It sounds like Ray Romano. And <gasps> okay. we, were, we were, the whole time we were watching this just before, Raphael's voice sounded kind of like Ray Romano. So I'm just, I'm narrating the movie as if Ray Romano was in every role. <laughs> Yeah, I love being a turtle. No, why you do that? <laughs> why you do that? Uh, I don't know. It, it's like it, it's sort of like those two those two sounds, uh, ladies Ooh. and gentlemen. His Ray Romano and me struggling for oxygen because I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> yes, it's Ray I, Romano and Miles Dyson <laughs> team up. <laughs> oh, my wife's cooking's gonna end the world. You're going to invent an oven that takes over and kills all of us. We're going to go assassinate Betty Crocker. We can do that. Oh, shit. I know. I know I'm going to eventually go. Are you crying? No. Pussy. <laughs> I'm not crying. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for like an MRI later in life. I'm gonna wonder like why I have so many few brain cells. You're gonna have the most fit lungs ever. <laughs> I'm gasping for air from laughter. Hell, I, I went running when it was 90 degrees out, uh, and my lungs was able to keep up with that. So I think there my legs go. are fine. Or, or I or I fucked them for life. If laughter keeps you young, you are the Highlander. <laughs> Which means that someone one day you'll say the wrong pun, and someone will behead you, and lightning will shoot out of the sky. Well, there can only be one pun master. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the voice cast was a totally separate thing. Th- as, as I was saying with the trailer, thank fucking God. <laughs> God, I love being Italian. I love being Italian. <laughs> God, I love my mother's cooking. <laughs> Move on. Anyway, it was uh, Brian Tochi as Leonardo. As we said before, Josh Pius, the uh, in-suit actor, who did the voice of Raphael. Corey Feldman, who was an adult by this point, was Donatello. Mm-hmm. 
He wouldn't come back for part two, but he came back for part three. Yeah, because I think at the time he was going through a, a huge battle like, with drug, drug issues. Problems, and, yeah. and so I think by the time three came around, he had cleaned himself up, and so that's why he was able to perform in three. And last but not least, Robbie Rist, cousin Oliver Brady himself as Michelangelo. Holy shit, that is him. Yep. Whoa. Did not put two and two together. Nope. But that is our turtle cast. Now, for our live action cast, obviously we have April O'Neil. And I remember when she said, Channel 3, I witnessed news. I remember in the theater looking at my mom going, she's from Channel 6. Yeah. I don't Uh, know why that's changed. That was uh, acted by Judith Hogue. (sighs) Apparently, she didn't – from what I heard, and I I can't verify this exactly, but she didn't want to come back for part two. Partially, she didn't want to come back. Partially, they didn't want her back because all she did was bitch about the long hours and the violence in the movie. Really? But she liked the fact that, like, the, the movie was like a kid's movie to begin with. Mm. So that's what brought her on. But well, you know. think that she would have enjoyed part two more because of the fact that, like, uh. They toned it down. Yeah. Because that, we'll get that near the end of the movie, like, the complaints about, like, certain criticisms of the movie afterwards. Which can all go shove up their fucking fat asses. Right. And, like, yes, I'm glad Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel are dead. Just, just like Ebert, you I think I, snobs. Ebert, I think I could have had a conversation with Siskel. I, I would have had a conversation with him. Fuck you. Die of a fucking heart attack, you fat fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I'm just like we sit here and talk about how much we despise fucking like Twitter and all these fucking keyboard warrior critics and everything. Right. Who really are these people? They've gone to school. What, you have a degree in film? And the funny thing is that Ebert wrote exploitation movies, at least one of the yeah. explo- exploitation movies uh, with the Valley of the Dolls with Sharon Tate, of all people. And apparently, I, I think, like like I was saying before, I think Siskel was very cantankerous, the more cantankerous of the two. However, both of them were complicit in the fact of putting out Bessie Palmer's name and they published her yeah, name and her, and, her, and her address after Friday the 13th. And so people were sending her hate mail, but they fucked up. They, they gave the wrong address. <laughs> so th- th- that shows the confidence level there. And I know they were parodied in the Godzilla movie in 98 with like Mayor, uh, Siskel and Eber and everything. And... Eber and Cisco were just like, all right, if you're going to do that, just kill us. And I kind of wish Godzilla killed those two in that movie, like now thinking about it. Pretty much. But anyway, continuing with the cast, we have Elias Cotius as Casey Jones. I love him. He's just a snarky douche. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't think of him as a streetwise vigilante. Right. But he, he, he got in a good shape for the role. I don't remember him in anything again for years until, what was it, 1998's The Thin Red Line, the war movie, when yes. he played Private Stavros. Yeah, because, like, you think of Saving Private Ryan and Thin Red Line, all of Hollywood was cast in those two movies that year. Yeah. I don't remember anything him being in after that, but then again, I wasn't the most avid movie watcher, and I'm still kind of not, but... but um, going back to Judith Hogue really quick, other than Amy um, from Power Rangers, Amy... Amy Jo Johnson. Amy Jo Johnson and Judith Hogue were, like, my two, like, earliest crushes as a young boy. Interesting. Yeah. I, I had no idea why, but like this, I was very attracted to this. this you know, maybe Joe Johnson's going to be 50 this year. I know. I'm old. I know. Wow. And you're, she's aged gracefully. And oh, my God. And, 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 uh, and all for, oh, that's that's wonderful for her. Like, not, not many people do. And I think that's, it's really awesome that she's able to do that. Mm-hmm. And with Elias Cotet, it's like, yeah, whatever he shows up in any movie – like, it automatically bumps up, in my opinion, just like, all right, I'm happier that, that he's in this. But whatever it is, I love him in snarky roles like this. Yes. Where, where it's like he's a snarky badass, but at the same time, he's kind of got, like, I don't want to say insecurities, but he's, like, not always the most sure of himself deep mm-hmm. down. 
but he's still like an ass kicker. Right. Uh, we have Jay Patterson is Charles Pennington, April's boss. I swear to God, this guy was Mr. Ernst on Hey Dude for the longest time. Really? I thought, swear. Oh, my God. I swear, but he, he clearly wasn't. Once I really started watching the show regularly, I'm like, all right, that's not him. Did uh, somebody, somebody pull you to the side and say, hey, dude, that's not him? No, they didn't, pun, pun fucker. Anyway, we have Michael Turney as Danny Pennington, Charles' teenage son who joins the Foot Clan, which we'll get into. He actually quit acting for a while. Yeah, and he became a, he was a comic book artist yeah. for Marvel for years afterwards, and then he he got back into filmmaking later in life as mm-hmm. a director in his own right. Uh, Raymond Serra is Chief Stearns, who is your New Yorker police chief who sweats a lot. Good God! <laughs> like whenever I see an actual um, press conference with a police. Uh, Chief in New York City and everything like that. I'm automatically disappointed that it's not Chief Stearns that's yeah. delivering it. Like see somebody the, on the news. It's not Chief Stearns. He's yelling. Yeah. Like, what do you else? What, do you try to accomplish anything besides busting my chops? Yep. And for the villains, we have James Saito as Oroku Saki slash the Shredder. Mm-hmm. Uh, his voice was dubbed over by David McCarran. McCarran would return in Ninja Turtles too, but James Saito would not. He would be replaced by Francois Chow. Mm-hmm. Um, Toshishiro Obata as Tatsu, but nice pronunciation. He was voiced by Michael McConaughey, McConaughey, I guess. McConaughey, McConaughey, but it's like him <laughs> doing his worst like Asian impression. Yeah, okay. it, 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 ah. it's not as bad as um, what's his uh, face who did uh, um, Fisher Stevens in the Short Circuit movies or anything. Yeah, it's not that bad, but it's but, pretty bad. Yeah. Um, and we have actually a couple of young up-and-coming actors as Foot Clan members. Apparently, Skeet Ulrich and Scott Wolf were in there as unnamed members of the Foot Clan. They were uncredited, huh. just kids in the background, basically. They would have been, you know, preteens by then. Yeah. But we have, as one of the head thugs that we see at the beginning of the movie and throughout and at the end when talking to the police, Sam Rock- a young Sam Rockwell. Yeah, the he's only, credited as head thug. Yeah, the only disappointing thing about his performance in the movie is he doesn't get a chance to dance because he dances in all of his movies. Yeah, well, things things were all back then. But mm-hmm. we're not to be done with uh, puppeteering and everything. We when we get to Splinter, Splinter was actually not Splinter was a full blown puppet. Yeah, there was no actor in makeup or anything. It was a total of three people. We had Kevin Clash, Elmo himself was the lead puppeteer of Splinter and the voice. Elmo loves loads of turtles. I'm sorry, were you not expecting the Elmo voice? I was expecting, I don't know. Okay. But anyway, yeah, uh, but his face, the facial assistant for the moving was Ricky Boyd and assistant puppeteer Robert, Robert Tigner. So, and so it, was, it, it, it took it, at least three people to, it took three op- people to operate him at all times. But if you notice, there's pretty much no real scenes where Splinter's full body is in view and, and moving at the no. same time. He's always sitting down or he's tied up or any scenes like when he's being helped out of the, the Foot Clan warehouse. It's, you know, Casey and Danny helping him out. Like they, they, they're under his uh, arms holding mm. him up and they're walking out and the entire like pretty much from the chest down cannot be seen. Right. So I wonder if like at that point is it just the radio controlled animatronics that are going at that point. It literally might just be Kevin Kevin Clash, you know, underneath, underneath duck, walking, duck walking underneath. That makes sense. And ironically, in Turtles 2, I thought there was a typographical error or someone screwed up the credits. I'm like, wait, there's a Kevin Clash and a Kevin Nash. 
because mm-hmm. Kevin, pro wrestler Kevin Nash played Super Shredder. Yeah. I never knew that for years. That They were two separate. I thought there was like a typo or something. Really? Like, wait a minute. What the fuck? Yeah, that's understandable. And then right? I found out who Kevin Nash was. I'm like, wait a minute. You mean Super Shredder? And then when I discovered IMDB, I'm like, holy shit, he really was Super Shredder. Yeah, the only thing, he didn't he didn't drink the ooze when it became that big. He, he drank diesel. Yeah, and, and I'm surprised he didn't tear his ACL breaking through that dock. <laughs> I mean, it, it, that, that battle lost, lasted as bad as long as those Kevin Nash matches did anyway. So, well, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. But, yeah, I mean, that's our cast. All well-done performances, I think. Mm-hmm. And we'll delve into things a little further. But should we begin the plot synopsis? Let's do it. So we open up on New York City here. and With, with a very it, jarring uh, image of Manhattan with the trade towers in the yeah, background. Yeah, that's why, like, it's so weird. When I remember watching all the movie with the Twin Towers, I immediately, I had to, like, blink. Like, just, mm-hmm. like, just uh, consciously, like, oh, right, yeah, that, that that's a thing there. Even when I saw John Carpenter live, um, he opened up with Escape from New York as the track. That's who he opened his concert with. And he opened with the graphics of the Twin Towers still in the skyline. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. But we basically get... Over a newsstand, April O'Neil begins talking to news reports. We get in the New York Post saying that city crime is escalating, that there's some kind of organized crime happening throughout the city. And while this is going on, we see, like, pickpocketings happen, but they happen so quickly that, you know, you can't tell. Yeah, and during the hustle and bustle of New York City that nobody's aware of the fact. And the fact that it's happening during broad daylight is astonishing. They're passing the wallet to each other on the street. We get a, a truck delivery guy dropping off a truck full of packages. He mm-hmm. walks to just like talk to the guy and make sure he's in the yeah, right place. Yeah, sign for the package and yep. he comes back to the truck. Comes back to the truck and it's fucking empty. I assume how they did that, it must have been a fake wall. Oh, it was just like the first like five boxes in the camera's view stacked up. Yeah. When they were off camera, people just came out and loaded that shit real quick. Mm-hmm. There's an old lady who gets television stolen and they're all being loaded into this like, into this Creepy van by, uh, yeah, a, by a white van that's nondescript and everything. Nondescript being handed to, to ninja guys in black wearing red headbands. Okay. A very stark contrast to the Turtles cartoon show where they were robots. To, so that the, I think the foot soldiers were robots so that the Turtles could use their weapons on them and we won't have blood splattering everywhere. Yeah, and I think even after that five-episode series, I think by that point the – they started using their weapons less and less as they went forward. Well, I know they completely took out Michelangelo's nunchucks. That was a controversy. We'll get to that in a little bit. Right. But things are all being unloaded to, like, these warehouses, and it seems to be run by kids, like like Japanese gang members and kids. Yeah, like, it's a children's gang that's happening. It's like a, a weird Dickensian hell that New York has faced right now. And April O'Neil, she mentions at the end of her news report, probably the biggest silence coming from... Most disturbing silence coming from that of City Hall. Right. She's calling out the fact that like the, the bureaucrats at the time not doing anything about the crime epidemic. Yeah, the police aren't really looking into it. So on her way out that night, wearing a yellow raincoat, which was the closest they got to April's traditional suit. Right, because even in the comics that she wears the like a one-piece suit and everything, like, sure, they were published in black and white at the time, but it was the comics that, that set up the fact that, oh, no, she's going to be wearing the yellow jumpsuit from then on out. No, it was the cartoon. I said, I said the cartoon. I thought you said, just said the comics. No, I said the comics had oh, okay. the jumpsuit, but like you couldn't tell because it was in black and white, but it was the the cartoon that established the fact that it was always yellow. Well, she gets to her van and walks right in on a bunch of the teens from the Foot Clan fucking stealing shit. She gets attacked, but the Psy uh, goes flying through the air, knocks out the street lamp, and we hear a bunch of rustling, rumbling, fighting, and when the police come up their headlights illuminate things the guys are tied up yeah and like they're just like they're beaten to a pulp a little bit and you wonder like how the hell did this happen yep but 
they somebody uh, April discovers the fact that there is a sire on the ground that has been yep. left behind, and we see a pair of eyes looking out from a manhole, wondering like, ah, oh, shit, I was supposed to grab that. Yep, and he even says, damn. And then we descend into the sewers themselves here as the opening credits begin, and. I don't know if this is hyperbolic or anything, but I just absolutely, I think this is a really classic opening for a oh, comic yeah. movie. And the funniest part is, is just how in the dark they keep everything for a while and how much they, they, uh, they tease. They tease. Like you see the turtle shadows walking in the background talking and right when they jump into frame, it pauses and then the, the logo comes up. So it's like an even bigger tease, but we've seen, by this point, any fan has seen enough behind the scenes production stills. Right. To, to, or even the fucking movie poster. Or trailer. Or trailer to see what the turtles look like. So it, it it's like the weirdest thing as I drop shit all over the floor. It's okay. And Leonardo, Michelangelo, and Donatello, they're all happy. They're all thrilled. Raphael, he's pissed and sulking. Bossa Nova! <laughs> Chevy Nova? Uh, Excellent! Yay! See? Happy. Happy things, you know? Happy things, but that, when, uh, Raphael being the cantankerous person himself. Right when the music just... You hear Raphael go... Damn! And I remember in the movie theater, a bunch of kids going, <gasps> Yeah, well, yeah, the Ninja Turtles, because you imagine, like... Kids and parents. They, <gasps> like, like, they have to take out them swearing. And one of the credits you see there, that's like, one of the three editors is Sally Menke, who was the longest, like, she was the go-to editor for Quentin Tarantino movies until her passing, sadly, in, like, the early 2000s, like, early 2010s, I should say. And she was the original editor in there, and then two editors came on, and we'll get into the reason why those two extra editors came on later on in the movie. Now, them going, they basically go home, they tell Splinter all about, you know, how they had their first big battle, and Ed Splinter's telling them how you have to, you know what, I trained you, but you still have to remain underground. This is taken, like, almost, not almost... Directly, but very closely from the first issue, because the first issue of Ninja Turtles opens with them fighting gang members, and they go home and report to They Splinter. kill those gang members, too. They kill them. And we find out the reason why they were trained in the first place is that they were there just to exact Splinter's revenge. Yeah. They were literally just, they were just his full so- foot soldiers in that, in that war. That Where at, whereas pretty much every adaptation from the fucking cartoon on was that Splinter trained them because that's what he all he knew and for their survival. Right. Well, now in the cartoon, they made it where Splinter actually was Hamato Yoshi living in the sewers after after you know leaving Japan, and uh, the ooze transformed him into a rat for some reason. I think it's because the, I I guess the it was too much of a a stretch Having in logic. Hamato Yoshi being killed. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, that's true, and. Like having a turtle, having just the rat just gain knowledge so much through secret ooze and everything, and being able to like, yeah, you're gonna be named after famous Renaissance painters. Well, the, actually, they did say that they did specify that in the second movie when telling the origin to Kino. He says, "And some artwork I found in a storm drain, I gave them all names." And yes, the turtles' names are based after famous Renaissance painters. Right, and I do find I, it is one of those things when whenever a Ninja Turtle, um. Adaptation happens. It's kind of like the it's kind of like the Spider-Man or Batman origin. You always get it whenever it happens. Like, all right, Uncle Ben was killed. The Waynes were killed. The pearls fall. The turtles were covered in ooze. It's like almost. Arthur, why did you say that name? That's why I love when I saw a Jane Silent Bob reboot. Like they make fun of that. Where Aww. Ben Affleck's like, yeah, like he's talking about becoming a parent and everything like that. Last me you realize you're no longer Batman. You're Thomas Wayne, or their mother. I don't know. What's her name again? Looks down the lens of the camera and then continues with the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Jane Silent Bob movie? Who'd want to watch that? 
look at the camera. <laughs> and so, but yes, the the uh, Splinter is trying to talk to them sensibly. Michelangelo's ordering pizza. Yes. You know, and nod to the cartoon. Of course. Because that was not really a thing in the comics right there, that their, their love for pizza. And or everything. even, or even really their individual personalities to that extent. No, the only separating factor of them was their weapons. Yeah, and they like, all had all red bandanas. And like maybe in issue two, when we were introduced to Baxter Stockman and the Mousers, that's when we get to see um, Donatello as the the tech genius of the two of them. Mm-hmm. And like Raphael was still the hothead, but that's the reason why in the first issue he was the one that sent out to send a message to Rokusaki saying like, "Let's meet because we're gonna kill you." There's very little of Donatello being the tech whiz in this movie. Like, no, there's a little be- something at the end when he's just tinkering with something. Right. And I think that the reason why – I think Steve Barron's, like, approach to this movie here is that, like, he wanted to kind of like, do what Dick Donner did for Superman. It's like, this is a real world and – or a real enough world, and Superman just happens to exist in it. It's not in a hyper-reality where the audience members can't identify with the people on screen. See, I don't think that's un- unidentifiable because Donatello could be the guy that, like – Finds just electronic shit in the fucking dumpster and is so good with it, he knows how to, like, fix it up, make it, repurpose it. I think that's why we should have had him fixing the truck um, later on rather than Casey Jones. Well, I mean, he was in there testing it with him, so he right. might have been. But he, like, I guess, like, just to show him that he's being, like, more proactive, that he's the one, his head's under the hood there. Just yeah. a visual representation. Or Casey fucks up something and he has to come fix it. Right. Something like that. I mean, because it's not until the second one where we get with him and uh, Professor um, in Perry. Uh, Professor Perry and them synthesizing their own uh, anti-mutagen. Yeah. But... And so Raphael's Raphael, going to go yeah. into the movies. He he does <laughs> he puts on the shitty turtle disguise. So you talk about hyper realistic. In the cartoons, the turtles would be able to roam around the streets wearing nothing but a trench coat and a hat. Yeah, it'd be the trench coat with the hat, or it'd be the the tre- trench coat with the weird like Pierre Laurie bald Mister uh, like Fester's head mm-hmm. uh, mask, or the the construction outfit. I've seen like sunglasses and fake beard. Yeah, or the um, the Groucho Marx uh, glasses with uh, the yeah. fake nose and mustache. It's so, but they, he he leaves it literally in just this trench coat and hat and backpack and backpack. Yeah. So after Michelangelo calls for the pizza, he we see him later on, you know, sitting waiting for it. Um, Donatello rides up on a skateboard, which I never really knew Donatello to be the skateboard kind of guy. No, you think I'd be Michelangelo of the two uh, of the four of them that would be doing that. Yep. But Splinter earlier had said something about one day I may be gone. You know, basically trying to say like one day you'll outgrow your parent and your parent will not be there and you'll have to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Something that happens to us all. Donatello tries call talking to Michelangelo about it, but Michelangelo doesn't really want to listen to it. You he just dismisses it like, oh, time's up, three bucks off, talking about the pizza again. Do you think that was – Just want to acknowledge it. Do you think that was the conscious choice that he's like, I don't want to talk about this, I'm going to talk about the pizza instead? Or I think you- it was, and I think it was the setup for what we'll get to later about deleted scenes. Right, about his, his deleted arc of this movie pretty mm-hmm. much. Michelangelo has like a really, really, really big like personality change and arc in this movie that unfortunately was cut out. Yeah, sadly. Yep. And so the pizza delivery guy shows up and he's late, so he gets a 10 instead of a 13. Because <laughs> he can't find it and he's supposed to slip the pizza through a fucking sewer grate. And Wise Man said, like... Wise Man say, forgiveness is divine. But this is the part that screwed with me as a kid. Because I'm watching, like, Michelangelo's talking, his voice is speaking, and there's this actor who's supposed to be him, you know... Talking to him. Not Not talking. Like, like, you, you couldn't you wrap your head around the fact, like, how can he be talking to himself in two different costumes and everything? Yep, but they serve the pizza via Leonardo's uh, katanas by throwing it in the air. 
And, and he slices it up and Splinter slice lands on his head. Kids. kids. We, and all these scenes so far have given us, they really have set up the family aesthetic. Yes. They really have done a good idea. Uh, uh, good showing of setting up the family aesthetic. And I think that's the one that's the biggest thematic thing throughout all the iterations of Ninja Turtles, going back from the very first days of the comics, is that family is who you make it to be. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have, necessarily have to be blood. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I love how that's established, and it's what runs through this movie especially. And then when Raphael's leaving the movie theater after seeing Critters... Mm-hmm. Where did they come up with this stuff, Patricia? Think- <laughs> <laughs> no... Where did they come up with this stuff? I think Chris. Well, I watched that. No. I think Chris was a new line. My mother's cooking is better than this. <laughs> I think Chris was a new line cinema movie. I think that's why they saw it. Oh, okay. But an old little old lady gets robbed, gets purse snatched. Raphael manages to trip up the two guys. Literally. And, yeah, pull aside his uh, coat and show them the sigh, and they run off in fear, wondering what the hell was that. <laughs> but they go into Central Park, but don't say no, you don't go into Central Park at yep. night. Because there's Casey Jones waiting for them. Yeah, the hockey pasco wearing vigilante about to cave their skulls in. Yep, but Raphael stops them from, being, from uh, dishing out a little too heavy justice. Right, and I think that, that is from... I believe issue four of the the first comic run was used to him. Yeah, Raphael meets Casey Jones first in the comics, and they have a little bit of a uh, uh, spat. Yeah, and then they eventually they they cool their jets and they eventually fight side by side. Yes, but I think it would be remiss to say like some of the f- most famous lines of this movie come from here. When oh, yeah. uh, Jose could say, "Go back, tell me you didn't pay money for this." <laughs> uh, all right, fine. We'll do a little something a little different. Cricket. So the, yeah, so they have a ba- back and forth, basically trying to kick each other's ass. Raphael kind of gets the head, the the heads up on him, kind of gets the advantage, until Casey decides to pull out his cricket bat. Yeah, and he hits Raphael with it and sends his fucking ass flying through yeah. the air. Like Raphael lands headfirst in the fucking park garbage can. <laughs> and I see you later, freak. So I'm freak. I got work to do, and that, that sets Raphael off. He gets as soon as he hears him call him a freak, he just gets up and runs after him. And, and, and whenever I see a baseball bat, like I can't help but think of a Jose Canseco bat. It's yep. because of this movie here. And as Raph's chasing him, he jumps over a taxi cab that stops short. And in the back seat, as we said, was Josh Pius, Raphael's in suit actor. <laughs> and the the what the heck was that? I look like a big turtle in a trench coat. You go with Laguardia, right? I, I think it's a is a joke that like. Like, New, New Yorkers, Yorkers are not surprised by no, anything. No, And so I think that's why, like, you can hand wave so many other weird shit in that city. And I think so many movies take advantage of that. I mean, like, even in Ghostbusters. Yeah, like, I've seen weird shit in the fucking city, man. We've all seen weird shit in the fucking city. Yeah. I, I saw a man laying in his own filth masturbating once. Oh, it, cool. Yeah, I'm just like. I saw a man at the bus terminal station with his pants down washing himself in the sink. Oh, Homeless, been, homeless problem is a real thing. Uh, I saw a guy just literally sitting there in his own chair, passed out. His pants were fucking soaked, and there was a trail of urine just going from, from his the bottom of his leg to the other side of the sidewalk. Gross. But Raphael, after being fucking pissed off and screaming, damn, through the seat. Our third damn in like half an hour. Yeah. Now I'm sure parents in the theater were wondering, should I They were clutching their pearls this? at this point. Yeah. 
Raphael comes home and Splinter tries to give him give him a speech about controlling his anger. Yeah, because he knows that he has the potential to be the best of them, but like, however, his emotions is going to what's going to be his downfall. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to reiterate the fact here that much like he was saying before that he's not going to be here forever, and you need to be there for your brothers, and so you need to grow up a little. He, he basically, you know, he says like. You choose to face your internal enemy alone, but don't forget we're here for you too, you know? Right. And Raphael does cry, so we get that, that family aesthetic. Yeah, and, and like, I think what, what works about these puppets and this, the, these suits here is that the fact that, like, it's a low-key lighting style where it's like we have, like, one light source in most of the scenes there. And so, like, a lot of it like, falls down into shadow right there. Mm-hmm. And I know the, the Henshin company was nervous about Stephen, uh, Steve Barron's, uh, approach to it like they wonder like how the hell are you going to photograph this and like don't worry about it we're going to make sure we're going to like hide the seams effectively and i think that's one of the other things about the, it's the downside of ninja turtles two and three where the photography style becomes a lot more flat mm-hmm. and just really unappealing and it's like uh it's okay it, it doesn't have the the grimy or gritty aesthetic of the first one. I know I sound such a pretentious douche when I say that, but I just prefer the photography approach of this movie compared to the sequels. But anyway, the next morning at April's apartment, she's being visited by uh, Mr. Ernst from Hey Dude. <laughs> and a little son- wild and a little strange when you make your home down on the range. Something, something, something I don't remember. She'll Something be- else I've fucking forgotten 30 years. She'll be yeah, what? Like the cowboys say. Say it again now. Yippee-ki-yay-yay. Why am I clapping along? Till the break of day. Hey, dude. Hey, dude. Out there in the cold. Like, hey, dude, don't make it bad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she's there being checked on, you know, uh, by Charles and Danny. Now, Danny, we saw earlier in the opening as part of the, he's one of the, he's one of the one street the, crew guys of the Foot Clan. Yep. Pickpocketing wallets and stuff, mm-hmm. handing it over. So he's just sitting there kind of antisocial. He's always wearing Sid Vicious shirts because originally, Steve Barron had gotten what the fuck was this guy's name? He was he was the manager of the Sex Pistols. Yeah, he and a, was an artist of his own. Yeah, and he was a musician in his own right. And like he was, he was supposed to be the original composer of the movie. I totally forget, I'm blanking on his name. Well, I I kick myself for not writing and, it down. Well, what's funny is that he had re- at the time just recently released an album at the time of this movie of like remixes of like classical compositions, and his one of the Blue Danube was what was used in the trailer. Mm-hmm. But after Steve Barron was taken out of the movie in post-production, this guy was let go, and he was replaced by John Dupree. Yeah. John Duprez. John Dupree. I don't know. I think he's Dupree. But John, du- John Dupree's uh, score had not been released for a very long time. Like, until last year or two years ago? I think like two years ago. I got it on vinyl, and it's yeah. fucking excellent. And the artwork on the vinyl was done by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Right. But that was kind of a thing back then, too, because – like fan outcry when Prince's Batman album came out, but Danny Elfman's score did not. Right. And that, it was like, what, three to six months until the album yeah. score was released? And, 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 you know, that was like, imagine if fucking. But nobody was, nobody was expecting the success of Batman. Nobody was ready for that. Yeah. 
But, but well, I'm saying nobody was expecting the fucking fan outcry for the score over the soundtrack. Right. I mean, like for years, if you want to listen to it, it like whether you like downloading it online or listen to it on YouTube, it was rips from the DVD, so it was not the greatest quality. Yeah, but now I got it, and it's awesome. <laughs> right. I think I forget what the hell you were playing. You busted out the vinyl. You had that playing in the background at one point. Was it that, or was it something else? I don't think I played it for you. I think you have played it for me. I might have played a little bit. Uh, not not the whole thing. You played the the 2018 Halloween score. Yes, because uh, you got me that vinyl. Yes, I did. Yes. Thank you. No problem. Um, but Charles is lamenting about how, you know, Danny basically is a juvenile delinquent. He's got to drive to school every day just to make sure he goes. Danny right. overhears this and you know, puts his headphones on. Right. And the reason why he's wearing City of is much like, like I said before, but the, um, the metaphor manager of the Sex Pistols was the, going to be the original composer, but that the actor playing Danny, he was a huge punk fan. Mm-hmm. And so they said, all right, let's check you out in Sid Vicious shirts the entire time. Yep. And so while Danny's in his headphones and they're distracted, he notices April's wallet and there's like a $20 bill sticking out of it, which he fucking swipes. Which you like, at that point, well, why not just take the whole wallet? He's been taking wallets the entire time. She, probably because, like... She, she would know. She would know, because they were just there. It's not like pickpocketing someone off the street where they could say, oh, shit, did I leave it at home or whatever? Mm-hmm. So we cut to a press conference with Chief Stearns. April O'Neil is, like, I guess, hosting, moderating it or whatever. Yeah. Like, interviewing More him. like a roast. It's more like a roast. And he comes up with this convoluted scheme of how they're going to make the police force more efficient in their patrols. Right, and... And she's just, she's just fucking dismissive of everything. I mean, uh, you got to think of the fact that the, the, even the film Filmmakers know how ridiculous this is because his last name is Stearns, mm-hmm. and he's gruff and everything. But she's asking all the fucking questions that he doesn't want to hear. And she asks, the turtles see her on TV, and they say, that's her. It's the news lady we we, we uh, saved. And Michelangelo kisses the TV. Mm-hmm. So April starts talking about the Foot Clan. She has a lead. Yeah, something she, called the Foot Clan. Because she apparently, we don't see it, but she says that she's been uh, talking to... She discusses Japanese, this later. Yeah, with Japanese-American immigrants and how of the, they knew of the the lineage of what the Foot Clan was back in Japan and how seemingly... How similar so, the crime wave is. Right. And apparently we cut to Ozymandias' uh, wall of TVs right here. We, we cut to Shredder at Kmart's old 1990 electronics center in the middle <laughs> of the night. He's got a million fucking TVs, and a bunch of them are broken, and when she says, you know, are you denying such a claim as the foot exists, he throws like a fucking tonto at the TV, breaking it at her mm-hmm. face, so Shredder clearly has anger issues as well. Right, yeah, just like you with iPads. And he says, not iPads, fucking- Tablets. No, it's just cell phone, Android-based electronics in general. True. Um, so he basically tells, gives orders to someone off screen, find her. Silence her. Mm-hmm. So at the end of this little interview, April's cleaning up, and she gets called in to Stern's office. Now, this is still in the in the uh, police headquarters. And just as she walks away, two cops bring in Danny in handcuffs. Yep. He's in trouble. Yep, he had been caught by doing some kind of yep. uh, nasty business. So, so fucking Chief Stern's is fucking yelling at her, and she says, I think you know as much as I do about this, and I don't think you're doing anything about it. And he thinks it's just it would be just a waste, a waste of manpower to... to Waste of manpower money to to go out there based on a hunch that, you know, so a couple of immigrants have right. because of something that happened years ago. And then she's like, well, like, are you going to do anything about this? And then that's when Stern's like, are, are you, you trying, trying to tell me to get a job? And she leaves. So as she leaves the, the police station, there's Raphael who had been following her. Right. I'm sure he wants to get his side back. Yeah. You know. 
So uh, she misses her train right. and is waiting patiently. Yeah, because you wait three to seven minutes to get on the train. Yeah, we get this nice wide shot. No one's there. Not around at all. Yeah. But so, she, yeah, we cut to the set of, like, the Warriors right yeah. here, and all of a sudden the Foot Clan shows up. She turns around, and there's the Foot Clan standing there saying, we've been waiting for you, Miss O'Neill. She says this wonderfully not racist thing. Am I behind on my Sony payments again? <laughs> like, why? Because they're Japanese? Yeah. Um, and so they, they tell her they're going to silence her with a slap to the face. They say, we, I deliver a message. Oh, he holds out his hand, opens it slowly, and then slaps her in the face and says, shut it. So she pulls out the Raphael side that she took with her. And they knock it out of her hand, so she tries hitting him with her fucking bag. Like, yeah, at, at least she's she's not like screaming for help or anything. Like she's being proactive and trying to defend hey, herself. Hey, she's, she's a tough New York woman. But yeah. the Psy is knocked away, and when she's knocked out by them, Raph picks it up and goes and takes them all down. Right, and this is one of those situations where the face is, is in a locked position right here because the the actor in the Raphael suit is being far more active in his acrobatics. Yes, and just like a whoosh, one train goes by, and Raph and April are gone. However, the foot, the foot still, members recover. Yeah, and still is able to track them back to their hideouts. Yep, one of them is able to follow. And so even though Raph is, like, aware of the fact, or he's he thinks that he's being followed, he doesn't investigate into it because he's got a woman in his arms here. He's like, I got to get her to a safe place. And this is when Leo asks, Raphael, are you crazy? Yeah, Leo, okay, I'm crazy. Why you do that? <laughs> I know I put too much garlic in the sauce. I am crazy. We ran out of meatballs. What do you want me to do? <laughs> and that's why Michael Andrews like, can't we keep her? Yeah, they're all just like shocked at everything Raphael's done. Even even Spoiler's like, what are you doing? But that's when the one lone foot soldier sees in there and he runs back to report. Right. And this is when Splinter tries to calmly and explain everything to Rape O'Neill. Well, he wakes her up and she fucking freaks out. Yeah, because how would you feel? You just saw giant turtles rat. and rat talking to you. Oh, tiny rats freak me out. <laughs> yeah. And you've worked in the city. and you, yeah. uh, like I, but You probably would have came across a rat if you worked there. A rat of that size. Yeah, that's not. That's totally not <laughs> unusual in New York City. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it definitely would be a rodent of unusual size. Oh, my God, would it? <laughs> so she was able to calm her down and explain their origin. And this was definitely taken from the comics issue two, where well, April... It's actually an issue one, but when she's told about it, like, it comes to her back, like, he begins the story, and then it says, like, like in true combo fashion, it's like, see, issue one, and then it cuts back to, like, all right. All right, so, yeah, it, 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 the the taking of her to the sewer den after being attacked and is, from the episode, is from issue two. Issue two, and the actual story as it was told was from issue one. Right. In um, uh, a little, not the biggest of detail, just because of... um. A production, that would, production design right here. Well, that would be later. We would get we would get the um, more extent. This is mostly Splinter's story from when they came to New York mm-hmm. onward. Right. The story before of you Oro know Hamato Yoshi and Oro Oro Yoshi. We would get that half. We would get the first half of the story later in the movie. Right. So Splinter, you know, tells a story about how you know he for the first time he was without a home. After his master was killed, and he was wandering the sewers looking for food, and he came across a uh, you know shattered glass jar and four baby turtles. Yeah, and I like the f- the fact here where where they where it's not just voiceover from these characters here. Like we actually see them standing there speaking to us, but they're in a black void. Like it literally is just the one key light is the only thing that's illuminating them, and anything past them is like is in complete fall off. It's a it's an interesting way to do a flashback and not just have voiceover narration. Yeah. And um, a lot of what 
he's describing the story. He's taken right out of the comic, gathering them up in an old coffee can, and the next morning they doubled in size. Right. And how they looked, like, how they looked when they grew up, and them talking, you know. So and they start for start eating pizza. Yep. Pizza, pizza. Uh, and, and then this is when um, he gave them all names, all names of uh, of Leonardo. Michelangelo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and, and Raphael, Raphael, and train him in the arts and ninjutsu. Yep. And as I said earlier, I always gathered that in the other adaptations beside the comics that weren't, you know, as violent, like the cartoon and everything onward, it was more for their own survival than it was for revenge. Right. So they escort April back home. Uh, they get back to her house, and all she has to offer them is frozen pizza, which immediately is like, all right, but like you don't have to. It's not Michelangelo it, practically has a boner for it. I mean. It, like say like hey like my friend Andy described it this way. It, it, the two things are very similar: pizza and sex. Even when it's bad, it's still good. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's I think the show is just kind of like running on that kind of uh, thought process right there. Uh, uh, I don't know. I've heard some some I, I, at least for the men, if uh, sex is bad, it's still good. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it was a man's point of view that's saying that. Unless there. you chews it off. Oh. Unless it's like fucking Laffy Taffy. <laughs> what is it? This is not a Bobbit story right here. No. <laughs> but just like in the comics, April li- owns an antique store and lives in the apartment above it. Right. And, and like in the comics, she keeps the antique store despite the fact that it's closed is because her father ran the business and he had died previously. They, and she does mention that when she shows it to them later in the movie. Yeah, but they don't like say like it's like, I don't think I can I can throw anything away because like it's, it hints at the fact of like her father, but it's not like uh, explicitly saying that her father's dead. But. I think it, I think we I think uh, that's what we get. She I don't think she says dead, but like it's, the way it's, I remember it's him. Hinted at, but after like it's the wee hours of the morning now, and they're like, "All right, you got to go home." And so the turtles agree to leave and head back to the sewers. However, when they return home, the door has been fucking caved in. Yeah, like as if from it was like Jason takes Manhattan came through here and yeah. kidnapped uh, Splinter. As soon as the turtles get in, they're ready for a fight. But as soon as they see what happened, they just drop their weapons. Donatello falls to his knees. And Raphael runs to the center of the room here once they realize he's, that Splinter's been gone. And he freaks the fuck out. He fucking screams, cries, everything. This old man walking by the sewer grate. Here's holds it. his umbrella in he defense. Points, it looks like Scatman Crothers from, <laughs> from The Shining. From The Shining. Oh, man. And so the turtles have, they can only go to one place. And so they return back to April O'Neil. And say, what's wrong? Splinter. Splinter. And so they agree, they decide to hide there. And this is when we cut to Chief Stearns, who realizes, hey, this kid who just been processed and everything like that, he's the son of a big uh, news time man, a a news uh, broadcaster. And he's like, you have a son named Danny, right? He, he, He lays back in his chair, puts his feet up. Now, we don't really get the full effect of this until later in the movie but you know april wakes up the turtles have been you know sleeping on the floor and charles shows up you know as crack and dawn what do you what do you say charles i just keep thinking charles xavier <laughs> what is it the hairline <laughs> kind of i was waiting for somebody's like we're the future turtles not them they don't like a matter and so charles has just ba- bailed danny out of the precinct Picked and, him, well, he's still a juvie, so he probably picked him up. Right. And the reason he's able to pick him up and he wasn't, like, charged or anything like that is because now he's he's telling April to drop the story about the Foot Clan. Yeah. And Danny, while there, sees Michelangelo hiding under a table, like, in the mirror. Turns around and he's gone. Yeah, and this really leans into the fact of, like, how great they are, are as ninjas. Because, like, there's always a moment where they're about to get caught, like... 
April while washing her face in the morning. She's Donatello in in the bathtub with the shower curtain closed, and asks Charles to hand a towel at like the last second. He goes to open up the shower, and Donatello's gone. He was hanging on the ceiling. Right. Um, I mean, it is there. It's definitely a way to hang out, but. And so April's kind of shushing her out of there. It's like, all right, she kind of like half-heartedly agrees that she's going to drop the story, everything, and it, just to get him out of there. She, that's she tells what, him to relax, you know. Yeah. So Danny and Charles are now in the car, and Charles is basically confronting Danny. What happens? You know, I'm making enough money to provide for both of us, and you're stealing. Why? Oh, like a typical typical kid. I don't know. What were you doing with a car? St- you know, he stole a car stereo. That's when he got caught, and he just says, "Sorry, mm. not sorry. You could be after school." So when Charles stops it, I guess at a red light, Danny runs out. Runs down to the, the subway, bleaker, uh, uh, street station, and that's when we get the Foot Clan's headquarters in that warehouse area we saw earlier. There's yeah. arcade machines everywhere, uh, skateboard rink, Pepsi machines, fucking uh, arcade cabinets, bass players, fucking pool tables, graffiti, graffiti, and, gambling, gambling, and all the kids are fucking smoking and drinking. Yeah. How you know this is an independently produced movie and not had to answer to studio? Oh heads. yeah, they let all the probably let all the kids fuck it. The first thing we see when when it, when the music kicks in, yeah. is a fucking kid shooting pool with a cigar blowing smoke out. Well, like a giant stogie like, that babies would be jealous of. <laughs> and like, I, I was said before, like you like you know how many teen pregnancies would have happened at this at this place right oh, here. Oh my god. I mean, it's ridiculous. I love how Tatsu accidentally gets bumped into by one of the kids. The kid runs into him, and he's, like, inti- intimidated and full of fear. He just tells him, go, go play. play. And he, like, wiggles his fingers into emote play. Go play. And so, yeah, like, but everybody's the, having a good yeah, time here. But on the other side of the coin, we now see the Foot Clan training these kids. So they're recruiting these kids and training them as foot soldiers. We see gymnastics going on in the background, sparring with weapons. We have this one kid who I guess he's, like, somewhat of a prodigy. Boxing, so Tatsu decides to take him on. Right, and this is when they go into offensive, and and he the kid goes on defensive, and he's able to defend himself uh, against Tatsu. And Tatsu's Tatsu impressed by until it. he makes the one fatal mistake you never do in fucking martial arts. They tell you from day one when you bow, never take your eyes off the enemy. never lower your. And Tatsu says never lower your eyes to an enemy. And Tatsu kicks him in the fucking face for that <laughs> mistake. And that's why it's one of my favorite gags in one of the James Bond. And then holds movies. a knife to his neck. I never noticed that it was a knife in his yeah. neck until like HD. <laughs> My favorite gag is one of the James Bond movies. He has to fight an entire school of uh, karate artists. And, like, the first one, like, they both bow. And when they come up, Roger Moore just kicks the dude in the face when they're on the upturk. And he bows down to the unconscious body. But we hear a loud gong. and but It is not the gong show. Everyone is assembling. Everyone starts moving on. We see through the arcade skate rink area. Everybody everyone drops what they're doing and they have to go. Drops what they're doing goes immediately. And in this dark hallway, just... Illuminated by one light, we see this shadowy figure with a big cape. Mm-hmm. This I always thought was so fucking cool, and just this, this the banging drum, I guess, of the the soundtrack of da da dun da da dum, like and Shredder just walking in, pr- and, being presented to all his students. Right, and, and there's a sense of build up. There's a sense of gravitas to it, and however, this is not the full introduction they were supposed to get. Yeah. Uh, there was a bit of a deleted scene right here where after, you know, Shredder, he looks around, looks at everybody, has this big cape, you know, has this big cape. I actually never knew that the cape was mostly silver with black tiger stripes. I thought it was just this big black cape that was very reflective. Right. When I saw, like, the most recent, like, top-of-the-line action figure release, I'm like, what the fuck? Wait a minute. And I look back, I'm like, holy shit, it is. It's like huh. a silver cape with tiger stripes. It's the way everything's lit. Gotcha. It literally, it, it looks like a very folded-up garbage bag. It kind of does. In some ways, yeah, like, with, with like, um, like little metal wires as, like, guides. Mm-hmm. So 
Tatsu folds his cloak over his uh his shoulder spike shoulder pads and a couple foot soldiers roll out like a rug. I never understood this until what we're about to talk about. What was supposed to happen here was Tatsu was supposed to put a red foot clan headband on one of his shoulder spikes. Shredder would sit down in like the, like the seated Indian style position as they call it. Rip. And there's footage that exists of this. It's, it was never released in a completed scene. And the four gang members that were attacked by the turtles in the very beginning during trying to attack April were basically being punished. They were sent to attack him at once to get the red headband to prove themselves. Right. And Shredder would fight them all off while sitting on his ass at once. And this wasn't your typical Hollywood. This wasn't your last Jedi one guy attack at once. No. It was all four of them at once and him taking them out. Right. And it was supposed to show, like a typical bad guy fashion, how do you want to show him that, they're, that he's a badass? You haven't beat up on his subordinates. But you put him in, in, a, in a, you put him in the position of vulnerability. Right. And have him whoop all their ass. Yeah, sitting in a cross-legged and yep. just like, all right, try and get it from me. And none of them could. None of them could. And they all got their asses kicked. But they were inevitably, you know, okay, this was cut out. I don't know how I feel about that, cutting it out, because Shredder's entrance was always so effective to me, I think just because I knew who Shredder was. Right. Like, if you were a layman seeing this for the first time and now finding out about that, I wonder if it would like, it's that much of a loss that it wasn't included. Because I love the look of Shredder in this movie. The, 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 he has, like, the, the uh, maroon red suit that he had in the comics. Mm-hmm. It's much more, you know, all his, like, armor spikes and everything look much more dangerous than they ever did in the, the cartoon. Right. And his voice, you know, David McTerran fucking nailed his fucking booming. voice. It, it, I mean, with like it, the muffling, right? And like, it's not like it's like it's coming out of all the places right here. And I love how I think later on, I think people have done this. They've taken like dialogue from Bane from Dark Knight Rises and put it to Shredder in this movie, <laughs> and like how it, it it really still fits, and vice versa. And and that's the one thing. Whenever I I read anything with Shredder, or like even with Uncle Phil voicing him in the 80s uh, cartoon, the voice that I always associate with Shredder is this one. Yeah. But this whole segment, then, that part is cut out, and it basically becomes just an initiation for a new Foot Clan member where he gives, uh, Tatsu gives Shredder the Foot Clan mask, and he puts it on the new recruit, I guess the, the newest initiate, yeah. into uh, as, as a full foot soldier. And tells him how like money cannot buy the honor which you have earned tonight. And then he puts it, he puts his own headband on and right. bows to Shredder. Tells him how you're making us all proud. And then he gives a big speech to all the young teens and recruits, saying, you know, just you are here because the outside world has rejected you. He's it's your classic fucking cult leader taking yeah. in wayward souls that you know feel they have no purpose, claiming that we're your real family. Yeah, and like the outside world rejects you, will protect you, will support you. And how do you do that? You give them what they want to begin with, with smiles and mm-hmm. love. And then you like you give them a boogeyman, you give them an enemy, and that's that's how every single cult turns that way. And as Shredder is talking about what our new enemy is, we've now cut and are panning through the back warehouse. You hear Shredder's voice off in the distance, and we get to Splinter, who's chained up. Right. They are the ones that are responsible for kidnapping him. They're keeping him alive for, I assume, purposes to ex- extract information out of him to find out more about these yep. creatures, these turtles. He and says, we have a new enemy, freaks of nature, who interfere with our business, and telling the kids that you are my eyes, eyes and ears. You find them. Right. And But that's when a certain voice that we all know speaks up, and we turn, and it's Danny who's vo- he's raising his hands, and... We assume he's the one that tells him where the turtles yep. are. Danny is, as we will as we will see, 
not too much further, Danny is basically ratting out the turtles and pretty much ratting out April. Yeah. So we cut to the next day. April's being interviewed about her, both of her attacks now. Mm-hmm. And she's really giving this, her own statement on what she thinks is happening, where she's talking about how she thinks it's a, it's a clan called the foot. This is where she gives away her lead saying how she's been talking to Japanese American immigrants who are saying that the recent crime wave is very similar to what happened in Japan. Right. And when asked by the, the reporter interviewing her, uh, she asks if are the police taken into this matter, and she says, "I doubt that they're taking it very." And she even mentions Chief Stearns by name, by name. saying, "I and don't believe he's taking this very and seriously." So then we cut to the outside of the studio. Who's watching through the window? We see her boss, Charles. It's Charles, and like clockwork, the fucking phone rings, and, and Stearns is is reaming him on the line. Because what sells it even even more is the fact that the assistant just holds the phone into frame. Yep, and like a that's funny, and b when he puts the phone, we already hear Chief Stern clearly through the receiver and doesn't have to put it up to his ear because he's and yelling he did, that loud. I thought we had a deal. So clearly Danny's release, he, he uh, brokered a bit of a deal Yeah, to get April to fucking lay low on this shit. But obviously it did not work. But when uh, asked by the reporter, how'd you manage to escape? April, without saying I was saved by Ninja Turtles, says, you know, oh, some citizens in New York actually came to my rescue. And she personally thanked Raphael, who's, you know, all smiles and everything. And he starts to blush and everything, and his, his brothers start to uh, pick on him for it a little I bit. I think he's actually turning red, and he throws a sigh right in between Donatello's legs. And, and they're like, uh, oh, maybe not. Oh, yeah, and that's when... That's when Raph gets pissed. And, and Leo decides to just, like, call him out on his shit, like, see, you're having a cruddy attitude right now, and you have to drop it if you want to continue to be part of this family. Well, Raph says, well, what are we going to do now? What do you mean, what are we going to do now? Splinter's out there somewhere. So <laughs> being the smart people, Michelangelo and Donatello, they retreat to the kitchen. Oh, yeah, because like, any family fight that you have, you, you'll still yep. like, keep one ear on it, but you're like, nope, I'm leaving the room right now. So Raph and Leo have this big fucking blow up, you know, and tells Raph he has an attitude, and Raph says, maybe I should take my attitude and leave. And Leo says the one thing that people always regret in a fight, good, we don't we need, need you. you. And there's Mikey and Donatello just enjoying a thing of pork rinds. Pork rind? Yep. Pork rind. Pork rind. Pork rind. <laughs> and so Raph goes up to the roof to blow some steam off, let off some steam, mm-hmm. Bennett. And that's when Elias Cotatis' uh, Casey Jones notices somebody from a different rooftop and looks through his binoculars and sees Raph. He's doing something up there, and he has a bottle of Gatorade with him. I think he's placement. fixing the radio. He's doing something, yeah. Maybe he's trying to get into, like, a police radio or something, but he notices across the way something familiar, and... I oh, it, it's so funny because when they cut to the next shot, like we see Kate, through Casey Jones binoculars, Raph sort of just come up and stop, yeah, on like this little like ledge area and look over, and then it cuts to behind him. I always tried looking out to see, like, holy shit, can I see Casey Jones out there? Right. When it goes to this reverse angle, yeah. But I never could, especially back in the day on a shitty VHS. Even now on like Blu-ray, he's probably not actually there. No. Uh, but as it cuts back to in front of Raph, we start zooming out. We see in the background the fucking foot have caught, have caught up. Dan, Danny ratted them out. And so while this is going on, <laughs> that Donatello and Michelangelo decide to entertain themselves by watching an adaptation of Tortoise and the Hare. Yeah, it's, it was like, what was it, like Rocky and Bullwinkle? Level one of their like one right? of their like side cartoons about I, I know it's actually give it credited the actual cartoon is credited oh really in the credits at the end of the movie Aesop's Fables Tortoise oh. Beats Hair the that actual animated cartoon I think by the same studio that did Rocky and Bullwinkle I'm not sure Bullwinkle I don't think the tortoise is gonna win this one uh, don't worry Rocky he'll will uh, do it I'm sorry if I just made fun of Jughead right there um, with that voice. Um, 
And so April returns home and everything like that and asks But she has no info. No one's yeah. called the studio yet and she told them, you know, if anybody if anybody calls with any information, call her immediately. And yeah. Nothing so far. And that's when she has it. Hey, where's Raphael? And we get we get a series of a beginning of series of of uh, dramatic irony edits right here mm-hmm. of like, hey, where's Raphael? And we cut to the roof and he's getting the shit kicked out mm-hmm. of him. He just needs to blow off some steam. So Raph, in the beginning, he's he's very jokey saying that the, the Foot Clan must be studying the abridged book of Ninja Fighting. He's kicking all their asses. Right. And but the, like, no, the the numbers are growing and the odds are, are getting heavily stacked. Yeah, but even, especially he was like, come on, are you going to give me a challenge or what? How do you guys expect to beat me? And he sees even more people come out just after left and right. Good answer. Good answer. So right here, you know, we uh, April is bringing them down to the um, the the antique, antique shop. store, and she basically says how I mostly keep it open for my father. You know, he uh, loved the junk. He loved this. You know, it, it's stupid to waste lose money on a hobby just because you miss your father. Right. That's right there the implication. That, okay, 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 okay. That he's dead, and the fact that like Leonardo says, no, it isn't because of how much they miss their father. Right, and. And so they go into the room to explain, uh, to explain, to explore the kind of whereabouts of everything right here. But as we cut back to Raph's fight, he's now on the receiving end. He's getting the shit beat out of him. Raph is not doing too well. He's getting like power bombed on his fucking head. Uh, Michelangelo, but we cut back in the store. Michelangelo's playing jokes on Leonardo with a pair of cymbals. Uh, which is, you ever done that? You ever done, like, try to do, like, even in music class, do that to somebody? No. <laughs> okay. Because it would affect everybody. It would be very loud. Yes, it would. And so. But they go back up, they go back up to the apartment and, you know, they say, hasn't Raph been gone a long time? Nah, he does this all the time. He likes it. Cut back to him being dragged down, like, you know, rooftop like, stairs. Oh, they say, don't worry, down. he'll drop in at any minute. That's where they throw him through the fucking the skylight. The skylight. And all of a sudden, just foot members come flying through the fucking windows like Tarzan. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I don't know who makes it more dramatic answers than with the Putty Patrol. And Michelangelo says, whoa, and I thought insurance salesmen were pushy. And that's when one of the football <laughs> clan members stands up to him and is like, hey, I have nunchucks and I'm a master. And Michelangelo's like, huh, a fellow checker, eh? eh? So Michelangelo and the Foot Clan member have like a nunchuck off where they try to outdo and impress each other. This is where you can really see... The non-animatronic version of the outfit is my, the expression on Michelangelo's face the whole it's just time. Locked to one position in in like the first few you know demonstrations. So the the foot soldier tries to do something back. Michelangelo answers him with something even more impressive. Yeah, which it's just how he's flopping over his hand, and even the foot soldier member is like, oh, he looks back at his buddy. He starts doing trying to match him. And for those who think nunchucks are easy, they're oh, not. Oh fuck! I have a pair of ones that are like padded, and I still clock myself I, in the head. I, I tried them once, like the one time I was doing karate. I tried them once, and I clocked myself in the head. And the reason why Michelangelo didn't have his, his uh, this okay. This is an edited scene for the UK release. Well, but before you say that, did you ever see? Did you ever see what was the Brady Bunch movie sequel from the nineties? Years ago, a, a very Brady sequel. Yeah, when, when um, uh, Carol's long lost husband, who wasn't really, who who claimed like he had held all this place, he was really the old part business partner, the corrupt business partner who like left him to die. Yes, but he claimed he had tons of surgery because an elephant stepped on his face during an expedition. Yes, he gives uh, who the Peter? He gives him a pair of nunchucks. And Peter is on, like, a uh, go-to-work-with-your-parents day. So he takes the nunchucks out while his dad's distracted. He starts swinging around and hits his fuck, uh, hits uh, Mike Brady's boss right directly in the head with these hard nunchucks. And he doesn't sell it at all. He does this blank expression on his face. And that's when Mike Brady comes over, addresses his boss, says, Oh, how are you doing? Whatever. And he just goes, hospital. <laughs> yes, I know. I'll have these hospital plans ready for you this afternoon. 
And and then he walks away, and the boss just collapses. And when we next see him, he has this colossal, like, purple bruise taking up most of his head from where he got hit in the face. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, so after the 1970s, after the Bruce Lee boom of, like, Enter the Dragon and the knockoffs of that, nunchucks were banned in the U.K. because uh, kids were buying them and beating the shit out of themselves, and they're being idiots. And so... Even everything ninja-related was, like, fucking... Right, from there. Yeah, because like so TMNT was Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. I have an old coloring book of Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles somewhere. Yeah. And I never knew for the longest time what the fuck. And like he like Michelangelo, it was edited out of his nunchucks in the UK release and everything. And especially this scene here. It was butchered. Oh my god. Like like you thought like the producer's cut or like the, the theatrical cut of Halloween Six was bad when it comes to butchering jobs. No, oh this God. shit. Was no, this is like fucking. This is like the TV version of a violent movie butchered, where you have no idea what the hell's going on. No, and like, th- and this was going to start to reflect in the animated series when they took away Michelangelo's nunchucks and gave him like a grappling hook. So lame, so lame, so so lame. <laughs> I hate it. Why would you do that? I don't know. And I, I often wonder if this foot, so, uh, this foot, um, soldier here was actually the same actor in the Michelangelo suit or not. Because of the back, the, the fact that they're being so proficient. It's, and they're not in the same frame I don't, at all. I don't think so because he, he would have been credited as that or uncredited or would have said something in an interview. Good call. I just think they got that many, well, you need that many pros on set for something like this. You right. Know? But Michelangelo finishes off this demonstration by perfectly twirling the nunchucks on the center chain on his finger. As if it was a basketball. As if it were a basketball, like, 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 and you know, like, buffing up his fingernails. Just keep practicing. That's when Donatello springs into action and the fight begins. And, okay, what do you think of the score in this scene here? I'm fine with it. I, I know a lot of people think it's a little silly here, and I understand that John Dupree, like, will decide, like, a lot of his approach when it comes to the score was to Mickey Mouse it, where, like, he, he would accentuate certain motions or beats on scene with musical uh, motifs. Like when at one point Dante gets her head, his head stuffed into the uh, fish, tank. fish tank, even though he's a turtle, he can breathe. He's amphibian. Well, he comes up and he squirts water at them. I have that action figure, by the way, the Donatello squirting water through his mouth action figure. Nice. But this whole battle, because the turtles are, are so lighthearted fighting together, this was really like that from the cartoon where the turtles and their fight scenes together are cracking wisecracks and jokes. We see later when the fucking building's on fire, it gets more serious. That's when the serious score comes in. So that's why I don't mind about this. Right. But Michelangelo, inevitably, he lays down on the back of his shell and starts, like, spinning around perfectly, holding out his nunchucks, knocking over down. I have that action figure as well. (laughs) (laughs) Ridiculous. But Uh, then the the one foot soldier calls in for another one to start bringing in these big axes. Yeah. So they start going after him with these huge fucking axes, but none of them can fucking hit anything. Right. I I love the joke here. The only thing safe in the woods would be the trees. If if these guys were lumberjacks. These guys are lumberjacks. Now, you want to know something also weird about my, my stupid baby memory about what came first with things? I saw this movie in theaters. I had, like, no memory of the scene for for some time. Mm Mm-hmm. When the movie came out on VHS, I remember I was in, like, Kmart or wherever with my mom and on, like, the big TV section. You know how back in the day, or maybe even today to an extent, they'll have all the TVs playing the same content? Right. Sometimes they'd put on a movie. Yes. They, Ninja Turtles was on, and I remember seeing the scene, and, like, I didn't remember it from the movie. It almost felt like it was new to me. Oh, really? So it's so weird. Like, was I not, did I fall asleep during the movie? Was I not paying attention? Was I distracted? Was I in my own little stupid baby world the whole time? It could be, it could be all of the above. Who knows? Maybe. But I remember watching this and it felt fucking new to me. Huh. 
But when Turtles 2 came out, I remember seeing the the whole ending from when, like, they ran over to Tokon Razor after they demutated and tried to blow out the window. So I spoiled the ending of Turtles 2 for myself by watching it at Kmart on the TV displays. Oh, shit. Um, but, you know, they're still fighting the guys. The, the, the foot soldiers are chopping the fuck out of the floor of April's apartment. And, and the, the, stru- the, the structure uh, credibility of the floor is not holding up. And that's when Donatello sees more soldiers in the sky, in the, the skylight. He warns them, uh, structurally speaking, I don't think this is a good time for your buddies to drop in. And these guys jump in <laughs> like they were just like, like thinking like, all right, I'm just going to jump in now and everything. They did, they like hurl their bodies through yeah. the, the window and everything. And no the, finesse whatsoever. And the fucking center floor of April's apartment collapses into the antique store below. But when the turtles come to their senses, you know, when they come, kind of come to and dust off the cobwebs, a light turns on and there's Tatsu with a whole nother slew of foot soldiers. Right. And even they're like, oh, come no. on. This is where they start, they start getting their asses kicked. The yeah. turtles. They're not doing too well in this fight. Clearly they're outnumbered. They're fucking tired. Yeah. They've been beat up. They, and they're not, they're not complete. They're yeah. Not, they're they don't not, have they're, with them. They're down one. Yeah. But at this point, the odds are about to even because a door flies open and another light and everyone's confused and they're looking at it. It's Casey. Yeah. He decided to join in the fray from across fucking town, I guess. Right. And then he's like, hey, what are you doing with my green friend over what there? What are you guys doing with my little green pal over there? And oh, he, who is the babe? He looks yeah. at April. And who is that? Wayne, Wayne Gretzky, Gretzky on, on steroids? steroids? So Tatsu sends him back in the fight. That's when, like, the, the John Dupree's music score, oh. uh, his track, I love, kicks in. Yeah. The fight gets more serious. Uh, one foot soldier swings his axe at Donatello, misses, and hits the main breakers. And, and now that, the fucking building is on fire. Yeah, that guy's dead. He, that guy's he, dead. he just got electrocuted with the fucking God knows how much. Uh, on, volts 120 volts. Through there. 120 volts that a house runs on? Probably. Yep. Um, so April no, no, lets Leo know about a trap door that was there to get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael and Joe and Donatello run towards it. And, and uh, Casey Jones is running defense on them. And Casey Jones says, I'll cover you guys. And even Leo's like, good idea. And while this is happening, the, the have, answering machine for April's comes fl- uh, dangling in on a wire that's on, in fl- on fire. Yes, remember when answering machines were separate from telephones? Right. Back in the day? And so Charles is on the phone informing April that she has been fired. Yep. And the answering machine, right, he says, I'm sorry, I know this comes as a blow. The the cord, I guess, melts away, and the answering machine lands on a foot soldier's head. You say that again, Chuck. <laughs> so Casey, he runs away through the trap door, seals it off. But before the foot can follow them, the cops' sirens we hear. And that's when Tatsu says, Ninja, vanish. Which is something I repeated so many times throughout my life. When we had, when me and my friends had to skedaddle from something like that, I would just say, Ninja, vanish. Yep. And have to get out of there. And that's when they speed away. I don't know. if Is it April's van or a van that Casey brought? It, it is April's van. Okay. It's April's van. That's from the comics as well. But, um... In a building nearby, we see Danny standing on the fire escape, looking at it, looking really, really remorseful and lamenting, like he feels bad for betraying April. Yeah, because her entire building burned down because of him. Yep, and something may she may be dead for all he knows. Yeah, but we now cut to the Shredder walking through the back warehouse, pissed off with a, yeah. this is your boss coming to fucking chew your ass out for screwing up. Walks up, swings back fist, and cuts to him back fisting like splinter right in the face and he demands like what are these freaks what are these freaks how do they know how to fight like this and what does splinter do doesn't give him a goddamn didn't thing. say a word he holds up his fucking arm blades to his throat and says you will answer and when he doesn't respond then hang there until you die and as he's walking by shredder gives as he's walking away shredder gives tatsu this look of like you fucking failure and yeah. tatsu just he, he, in typical middle management fashion, loses his shit and blames it on the people underneath and him. And takes it out on the workers. Yeah. So Tatsu starts trashing shit. 
he goes to, I guess, like the locker room and starts beating the shit out of everybody for fa- all the foot soldiers for failing. Right. Knocking over weapon racks. And he, he goes after around. one guy and one another foot soldier comes up in his defense here and Tatsu starts beating on him. However, this is a different version than how he's supposed to be in the movie. Well, it was actually the uh, foot soldier that was like, I guess, knighted in the beginning yeah. or earlier on that was that passed his thing, this guy Shinsho. Mm-hmm. He gets knocked out. They pull the mask off. He was supposed to die. Yeah. But we ADR, they ADR over it where uh, the other guy that comes to his aid and says, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. And we hear him <coughs> coughing and, and groaning. Right. And Danny's looking at it with this look of shock on his face like, like, what have I got myself into? What have I got myself into? It was a look of shock of like, oh, my God, you fucking killed that guy. And there's Tatsu looking around like, like he knows Shit he happens. Did, like he knows he did something bad, but walks away like, well, this is all your fault. You yeah. Know? And. I wonder if that was like a part of the rating. Otherwise, if they if they killed him, like they probably wouldn't know. Like this, because this this had a PG thirteen rating, right? PG. Or, it was PG. Okay, that may have resulted in a PG thirteen rating if they if they kept yeah. that in. But Danny goes to see Splinter. Danny goes to inspect on this because I, I guess the, everyone has known the rumors of the fucking turtles pet rat or father yeah. rat or whatever that's been held up. So he goes over and Splinter breaks the silence and talks to Danny and very fatherly saying, how yeah. could they face so young? There's so many, so many burdens. burdens. It's like, so you can talk. And Splinter, like the father figure he is, offers to listen to Danny's problems. He's trying to reason with him, trying yeah. to, to, you know, humanize him, get through to this kid who who's, you know, fucked up. Mm-hmm. And Danny, you know, tells him his name. Splinter asks if you know when to go through, go to. And Danny says, oh, my father could care less about me because, you know, he dared to discipline you. Yeah. Kids. And, and he's like, hey, your dad may be tough for me, but he still loves you regardless yep. of anything. Like, you can fuck up a million wise to Sunday, but he's still going to be your father and he, he that'll never change. And he yeah. still loves you for that. Yep. So we fade away to a farmhouse in April's family. Originally, this was Casey's grandmother's house in the comics. Yeah. I think it was like issue seven. And it was different in the, the comics of the fact that it, it was issue ra- 10, I think. I mean, it wasn't issue 10, but, like, it was Rafael. It was, uh, yes, it was 10. You're right. Because it was uh, Leonardo who got his ass beat and was. Not Rafael. And was wounded. And they actually did this whole arc in the, um, because it was the return of the Foot Clan. They did this whole arc in, this whole storyline in the 2003 Ninja Turtle show. I remember sitting watching it one day after school just because I had nothing else to do. I, th- I think I was actually doing my homework for once, which was rare. Wow. And I put that on. And I'm like, holy shit, this is the fucking plot of fucking the movie. Yeah. April's apartment's on fire. The mm-hmm. fucking turtles escape to a farmhouse, Le- except Leonardo was the one wounded. Right. And actually, in the show, he fashions new katanas out of for himself out of uh, uh, lead pipe. Oh, shit. And like a blacksmith uh, thing that's on the farm. That's cool. Like a smithing iron. And so while they, they realize the van's toast and... April and Casey Jones are kind of just like they're... They're fighting. They're fighting. <laughs> and Casey Don- shows what a klutz he is. Yeah, and Donatello makes the most 80s joke of all. When they, when they storm off into separate rooms after fighting, it's kind of like moonlighting, isn't it? <laughs> you know? So now we get April, you know, kind of writing a diary. This was also in the comics, issue 11, I believe. Right. Where she talks about, like, all the turtles, what they're up to. But here she's, like, drawing pictures and everything of them. Now... We feature several several of the turtles here. First, we get Donatello. She's mm. talking about Donatello, I guess, kind of like bonding with Casey. Because she's talking about how the turtles are handling Splinter's disappearance. Right. Now, in the comics, this was them working on on a truck making fun of each other, trying to fix up, you know, the old truck in the barn. Yeah. That you would see on, like, a fucking 
car restoration show. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing in the movie, except that they're insulting each other as they fix the car in like alphabetical order. Right. So the, each insult has to go A B C D A B C D E F G. And they're they're arguing over who who deserved who on the uh, the Gilligan's Island right there. Yeah, saying the Gilligan was a geek, Barferoni. And finally, get to the end. What are we on? Uh, G. G. Uh, here it goes, Gaffey. I'm ready, Hosebrain. So the truck starts. It goes flying out. Casey <laughs> dives, dives out, out of the, the way. way so he doesn't get ran over. It worked. Uh, <laughs> oh. hey. Her second um, picture is of Leonardo, who's I just. I wonder keeping... if that was like the art that we see that April's doing. I wonder if that was Eastman or Laird's art actually done. It was not, and I'll get to it. Okay. So our next one is Leonardo, who's just been sitting there. He's got all his gear off. He's just like sitting on a stool. Leaning up against the wall, just watching Raphael. Waiting to see he's going to regain consciousness. They just, you know, they put him in a fucking bathtub, mm-hmm. and he just kind of, like, lays there, half alive, half right. dead. I don't know, fucking give him some blood. Yeah, like, uh, a blood transfusion probably would be pref- pre- preferable right now. Now, there was supposed to have been, and here's where we get to deleted scenes, there was supposed to have been a third picture, one of Michelangelo and his whole arc. Mm-hmm. It was heavily del- – we see a glimpse of it in, like, the little montage coming up when Raphael recovers of Michelangelo in a barn punching on a heavy bag, mm-hmm. you know, training. There was supposed to be this whole thing that was deleted from the film, and this is also even in the fucking official trading cards, some of which I have. I'm sure it's probably in the novelization. Probably in the novelization. I think maybe even in the comic adaptation where Michelangelo would have sank into a deep depression over Splinter. Right. Losing Splinter. Because at the beginning of the movie, we see how he doesn't really want to talk about Splinter being gone. He never really knew how to handle it. And during that montage, on top of the the barn in the middle of the night, we see one of the turtles. It's voiced by Raphael screaming, Splinter! If you look, that's, it's Michelangelo. Yeah. He's carrying nunchucks. Mm-hmm. It's dark enough, though, where his orange bandana looks red. These pictures were drawn by assistant art designer or art director, uh, Karen Stewart. She was uncredited in the film. Oh. Now, she actually put these pictures up for auction back in 2011, I think oh. it was. And there was one of Michelangelo, of him practicing in, in you know, the barn, but also a close-up of his face just like looking grimacing. And we were supposed to get this, this scene where he just beats the shit out of his bag so heavy, he knocks it off its fucking thing, he throws shit through the fucking... Barn door, he basically loses his fucking marbles. Whoa. Like, Langell has, like, a fucking violent, like, breakdown. And Very out of character. I just wonder why. I guess they thought it was probably too dark to have Michelangelo, the the funny, uh, jovial version, to be jovial character to have such a a dark night of soul moment. But this is where you have depth in your characters. You show that the just like with Spider-Man, when, like, Gwen Stacy died, you know, this wise-cracking, fun-loving... You know, guy who's troubled, you know, just has his fucking dark moment and how he has to come back for it. Mm. Later on, when they show uh, the the whole turtle wax thing with Michelangelo, when they see him, you know, walk in, there's kind of a bit of surprise on Casey and April's face. And then when he makes, you know, when he makes the joke, like like they see his like arm is hurting because they know he was fucking going out of his mind. Yeah. And then when he grabs the turtle wax and then they have the thing, they almost have this like sigh of relief, like... And then they start laughing. It's because they saw what a depression he was in earlier in the right. film. And he was able to vent it by training with his brothers. Well, Raphael recovered. They started training, mm-hmm. which even more stuff was deleted out of that. It was basically tar- like a Ghostbusters 2-style montage where, you know, these, like, abridged scenes or even deleted scenes were, were fucking compiled into a montage. Right. Basically, like, Ray's whole possession, 
and speeding with the fucking Ecto-1A mm-hmm. and blowing red lights and shit. That was added into just like the simple montage. Yeah. But anywho, April's next thing, she's talking about Casey Jones and their their next big um <laughs> their next big argument where she comes outside looking for Donatello needing help with something. Another hint that Donatello's the techie of the group. Right. So Casey offers to help fix it. He's just chilling on the porch. So but <laughs> like a fucking buffoon. He just says, Okay, lead the way, Toots. And, and she's like, Well, Toots, toots are uh, uh, babe. babe. Uh, uh, sweet cakes. Sweet. Ah, ah, princess. princess. Well, throw me a clue here. I'm drowning. And she's like, you know what? Never mind. I'll take care of myself. And he says, fine. Well, you know what? Don't don't come around here looking for my help anymore because you won't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love using that line on people. Like, don't come around here asking for my help anymore because yeah. you won't get it. And so he sits down on- Sits back down on the porch with his apple and the fucking thing breaks. And the genuine look of surprise on Elias Codius's face, that might have actually been genuine. Uh, it could have been because it, it is so- it is so honest right there. So genuinely like, oh, like he is totally caught off guard there. This rickety old chain bench that's like rocking bench. <laughs> but we cut to Leo is half half awake and Raphael, he wakes up. He regains consciousness and he just wants, he's hungry. He wants something to eat. And Leo's all, you know, happy and telling me, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And that's like, that's like the one thing you can't, you don't do somebody who like, who's just regained consciousness in the hospital. Like, you don't get in their face, like give them some room and everything. Yeah. Like, let them recover. And Leo even says before, about what I said before, you know, not needing you at all. And they just, you know, they, they hug, hug it out. They hug it out. And this is when... Uh, we get we, one of the creepier moments. Right, because we, we cut to... Uh, Donatello and April, who've been watching them the whole time. Yeah. <sighs> Don't fall. <laughs> and, God. you know, they're laughing about how cute Donatello's... It's a Kodak moment. And they start laughing about it. So Donatello has this wide mouth open. Ha, ha, ha. And inside, you could see the actor's mouth through there, because that's where the actor's mouth was. How you could hear him do, his, I guess, his onset. Audio. Audio, if they used it. The actors could actually see through, like, little slits underneath, like, the the bandanas right. in that, like, little gap where the turtle, like, the ridge of the turtle's nose is mm-hmm. to where their face. That's how they saw through. But their mouths, where they breathed from, were in the actual turtle's mouths. And there was a giant hole in there. And so when he opens wide to laugh, so there's another see- mouth. He's like a fucking xenomorph. Yeah. And it is pure nightmare fuel, especially in HD. Yep. So we cut to now the montage of the turtles training again. And this had, you know, this is where we see them training. Leo's just sitting there. It cuts to Leo sitting there. It cuts to Michelangelo training on the heavy bag in that deleted scene. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to him on top of the barn with Raphael's voice. Right. Now, I read somewhere there was supposed to be another scene of them training where Leonardo would turn his mask around and fight them blind. That's mm-hmm. where in a later montage we see Donatello wearing like a straw hat. Yeah. Which was also used in some promotional artwork and trading cards. Mm-hmm. There was also another one of them training, <clears throat> training where they did a whole thing, like kind of this like training hot potato where one person has an apple mm-hmm. and he has to fend off everyone else while taking a bite and then pass it on. And the next guy has to fend everyone else out and take a bite while passing it on. Right. And that's where when we get to the end of the movie during like the, the, when the Foot Clan attacks the sewer den again, mm-hmm. if they go back and Raphael's holding the fucking, Fully eaten apple apples. Core. Gosh, I do hope there's more of them. That's what that's supposed to be a callback to. Right. It's not just what. What did Raphael eat an apple while he, while he was taking out these dudes? Well, taking out. You know, it didn't make much sense. Right. But the there was supposed, without a setup. There was supposed to be a point to that. And John, du- uh, no, Steve Barron was accused of like because he was a music video director having too many of his scenes be like these music video style three minute bursts. Yeah, there was like it was just montages and everything like that. There were, like, it wasn't a cohesive film from beginning to end that it w- it didn't seem like a real narrative film. It just seemed very 
chaotic and the fact that like, oh, we're j- it's just a collection of scenes rather than telling a story. Like this scene's a music video and this scene's a music video and this scene's a music video. So these trading montages were likely cut because they had too much of that feel and they were turned into montages. And I'm fine with that because they, they're, they're paced well. Right. You know? So- However, while this is going on, that uh, Shredder and Tatsu are they're they're flourishing. The fur can's doing so well, but the and the turtles have not been seen for days. However, uh, Shredder uh, is Shred- is unconvinced of them being gone. He's adamant. He's still asking about any more for the rat. He will not speak. And Tatsu doesn't get it. He's saying, "Why are the turtles trouble you, Master? They have not been seen for many days." And Shredder feels like there's something about them that reminds him of the past. Yeah. Shredder knows that there's there's more to them than that than meets the eye. Didn't really meets the eye. Yeah, that, they are secretly transformers. And yes, <laughs> and and that's where we get you know our next big training montage of them fighting. And, and, and <laughs> we see just them like kicking ass and everything like that. And we see him very acrobatic here. Oh yes. And I, I wonder if this is where it's supposed and to be. And Michelangelo like, is actually like successfully fending everyone off. Right. I assume this is where like he's able to finally like. Regain some peace in, within himself and everything. Yes. And I love the, the fact when we cut to back to the the bar, uh, the house, which is like that um, Casey Jones is he's is making dinner, up, making he's dinner, c- and he's cutting up uh, carrots with one of Leonardo's Leo's katanas. katanas. <laughs> I want to do that. Fucking just cut carrots with a fucking katana. I'm like sure it works a, well. I'm sure it works well, but I think it would be a little bit of a pain in the ass because you work at so much effort to use moving so much more metal. Yep, and, and that's what, when Michelangelo comes in. You know, they all smile. They're all trying to be nice. His arm is Michelangelo's arm is a little sore, so April offers him some ointment. Yeah, and that's when he pulls out the thing of turtle wax as a joke, and both of them have like almost like, like oh Jesus, they have like this like sigh, but they're happy to see that he's himself again. Yeah. So we cut to Leonardo, who's just sitting in the field alone, up against a tree, and he meditating. Decides, he decides to start meditating, and it cuts to Splinter, who speaks to him, says Leonardo, right. And that immediately, as soon as that happens, Leonardo comes to and says, Splinter, like, they believe he's alive. And he realizes, like, all right, no way no, I have to do here. And then we cut to my, one of my favorite questions to anything about, any, especially in Trivial Pursuit. Uh, name a book that had a Russian novel. What Russian over, novel was set, what was it, had more than well, 500, 500 characters set during the Napoleonic, Napoleonic Wars. War and Peace. War and Peace. But that that scene was actually used again in the uh, Loaded Weapon 1. In, in the Buddy Cop parody, Loaded Weapon. I don't know if it was 1 or 2, but when Emilio Estevez's character, who's like supposed to be like Riggs, he goes into the sewer to chase after the enemies, it cuts to that exact scene and him popping up from like a manhole looking around. They're like, oh shit, wrong movie or whatever. <laughs> But Leonardo runs in, saying he's alive. He steps on their fucking uh, board. Yeah. And they try to say, oh, well, you all think he's alive. But Leo's like, I I don't think I know. And so then we cut to a campfire campfire here. And uh, a scene as a kid I didn't really care for because I didn't think it was like, oh, it slows the movie down so much. And now as an adult, I had to fight not to cry from while I'm watching the scene. Yeah, they go out because Leonardo wants to meditate with all of them. Because right. Splinter tried to get them to meditate at the beginning of the movie, but instead they decided to listen to tequila and order pizza. Yeah. And at this point, the fucking campfire starts, like, violently, like, going nuts. Like, it's turning, like, like the flame is turning blue, so clearly they bought a supply. Splinter is made of natural gas. I was going to say, there's a bunch of Cernos in there that that's causing him to do this. Splinter, Splinter is made of the most efficient. Splinter has the greatest heat efficiency there is. You could <laughs> heat your house. Flame. Heat your house. Yeah, that perfect blue flame means that your 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 fire has perfect mixture of oxygen, fuel, and everything. And, and I absolutely adore that color. I mean, blue is my favorite color. So there. When we go. you get a flame that looks like this, you know your heating system is running perfect at perfect efficiency. Huh? Because it's clean. 
Gotcha. How do you just, how do you balance the be able to have it? No, it, it, it? It's it's a mixture of you know air, fuel, and fucking all that shit. Hmm. It, it's. Interesting. And I'm, I'm, I could tell my fucking knowledge in the heating industry is going away since I haven't worked in it in five years. True. And so Six years. The, the, the hologram here of... Uh, oh, Splendor is talking to them, you know, t- t- telling them, you know, you're, you tell them you guys are good. Right. That you've, you have finally passed the final test here, that you have outgrown me, that even though like, I may be gone eventually, that... I love you, and you are my sons, no matter what. And you are true ninjas, right here. And Michelangelo is crying. Yeah, like, Raphael's like astonished, like he couldn't believe. It. Like he starts holding Leo's hand, like right. oh my god. And Donatello is trying to console Leo here. I, I mean, Michelangelo. Michelangelo here because he's losing it. And maybe it's because uh, I've, I've lost one parent here in my real life and seen the scene as an adult. It's like ah, uh, this is really freaking real for a children's movie. Mm-hmm. But back at the farmhouse at sunrise. Literally back at the ranch. Back at the ranch. April and Casey are having a nice moment before they're probably their next fight or whatever. Right, because <laughs> he's talking about the fact that he did play in the NHL for a little bit until yep. he injured himself. Yep. But that's when the turtles interrupt him and say it's time to go back. And one of my favorite images in the entire movie right there, them silhouetted against the sunrise. morning sun. Yeah. Yep. So they go back into the city and the truck that they fixed up. And, and it's something we didn't mention before. A lot of the stuff was shot in Wilmington, North Carolina, in the yes. former Dio De Laurentiis studios. There were some location stuff done in the, the city. In New York. And, and um, a lot of these streets here were probably the same. It was probably the same sets they used in um, The Crow a few years later because that was shot in Wilmington, North Carolina as well. Mm-hmm. But when Casey finds out, they get back, and Casey originally thinks that they're going to be staying in the building that they pull up to, but when he sees him going into the sewer main hall, he's just, oh, uh, he just starts lamenting. Yeah. And Raph, he wants to go out and fight, but we're getting this point of view shot from inside a cabinet, like through the cracks of it, mm-hmm. and we see the cabinet jostle a little. That's when the turtles rip it open and say, what's that? It's Danny. Danny's been hiding out in the sewer den. Right. He's been staying away from all this bullshit. And so... He's like, I ran away from home and I can't go back to the Foot Clan and yada, yada, yada. April wants to call his father. He's right. like, no, please just let me stay here the night with you. You know, we can call in the morning, I promise. And, but however, this is when Casey finally <laughs> realizes the fact that, wait, we're staying the night down here and he's not having it whatsoever. Donatello tells him he's a claustrophobic and he thinks he means like homosexual. Oh, homosexual. He's like, so I never looked at another guy like that. He says, do you want a fist in the mouth? He's like, I never even looked at another man like that. Yeah, he throws <laughs> secure his masculinity there. But then he tries to, he, he fails at securing it again when he says, oh, what, me afraid? No. <laughs> I'm going to go sleep in the truck, which the, the fucking truck is worse. You're in a tighter space, and it looks like a hot box. Oh, my God. The truck is worse. Oh, <sighs> you, your back's going to be fucked the following morning. Oh, I hate sleeping in a car. Yeah. I, I've only had to, I haven't had to do it since, since I became an adult, but it's, uh, it's not fun. Yeah. But Danny sees all of April's pictures she made, and, you know, she, he asks for one. She gives him the one of Leonardo. That's when he says, you know, they talk about how hungry they are. We, this is the one time we see Donatello, like, working on some kind of tech device, which he immediately drops when they notice there's pizza there. Yeah, and apparently uh, it has gone moldy. It's been bad for a while because Donatello asked Michelangelo, do you like penicillin on your pizza? Uh, which, uh, fun fact, it's the one allergy I'm, I have. I'm allergic to penicillin. Oh. Yeah, so if I, have, if I get polio, I'm really fucked. <laughs> and so... Well, don't worry. It's not like people don't deny vaccines anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, who who, who would be idiotic to do that? And so Casey Jones is, is doing real idiotically by hiding out in the truck and probably sweating his balls up He up tries there. but fails going to sleep, and immediately when he says, afraid of closed areas, he has to roll open the window just to, like... Yeah. So 
they all go to sleep, but Danny's he's having nightmares. He's tossing and turning. He's hearing things Splinter said. He's hearing things Shredder, Shredder said. said. And, and he's conflicted about it. That it's, it's, it's making him restless right here. And he finally gets up and decides to go back to the lair, uh, the Foot Clan. Uh, I don't know what his point was, though. Like To, to, to tell, talk to Splinter, I guess. Or to tell him, hey, your sons are back. They're coming for you. Yeah. But when he leaves, when, when this scrawny fucking beanpole of a fucking preteen lifts this 90-pound manhole. 90-pound? 90-pound? Fucking... He managed to lift a fucking manhole cover and move it out of the way with his bare hands, which you can't fucking do. No, because otherwise people will be going to the sewer more often. Yeah. Uh, Casey wakes up from the truck, sees him, and follows him. And, and follows him back to the... The Foot Clan uh, headquarters. The Foot Clan headquarters. And I love how Casey's trying his damnedest to blend in here and everything, because he's obviously too old to be a, yeah. a regular person just supposed to be there. He sees all the kids, you know, partying, playing pool, having fun, and he's fucking confused. Like, what the fuck? Like, well, what's going on here? What kind of nonsense is this? So he ends up grabbing a foot soldier and knocking him the fuck out to take his uh, gear. Take his outfit. So Danny comes back, and he meets up with Splinter and says, I've not seen you for many days. And he basically tells Splinter how conflicted he is. He's been mm-hmm. hiding out away from them. He doesn't know if he's really know if he's hiding out from his surrogate family, as uh, Splinter puts it. And in that earlier scene with Shredder and Tatsu talking about, you know, recognizing how the turtles fight from the past, saying that the boy who lives to the turtles is missing. So right. Splinter then tells his origin, the the other half that we didn't hear earlier. Now, this has been a bit abridged, and it's really been the the definitive origin since then, where in the original comics, Hamato Yoshi was a member of the Foot Clan. Yes. And... He had fallen in love with a young woman named Tang Shen and rivaled with Oroku Nagi. Rivaled with Oroku Nagi, the older brother of Oroku Saki, the shredder, over their love. So Oroku Nagi goes to Tang Shen one day and says, You're going to be with me, not Yoshi. And when she turns him down, he beats the shit out of her. And in a rage, Yoshi walks in and kills Nagi with his bare hands. Yeah. So by killing a fellow member of your clan, you either have to kill yourself to regain your honor or leave. And so he and Tang Shen leave and flee to New York. Yep. Instead of here where it's uh, Yoshi and Saki who are fighting for Shen's love. Mm. But instead of, you know, them ever coming to conflict, they just, they just leave. They just leave America, you know? And Saki vowed vengeance. He wanted her for himself and he couldn't get her so they went to new york i get, we see him yoshi come home from like a construction job right find shen dead on the floor and that's when uh saki attacks and wearing the same like pajamas he was wearing <laughs> earlier right attacks kills him and breaks splinter's cage that's when splinter attacks uh saki and claws at his face claws like right around yeah, his and nose and, and mouth like big gouges in his face yep and then he st- takes his katana and slices um Splinter's ear, which explains why Splinter's uh, left ear is like halfway Mangled. there. And, and I think I do enjoy the simplicity of it. And in the comic here, that once they bury Rokonagi, that's when Rokonagi vows as a child to take vengeance against um, Amato Yoshi, and he grows up to a man, to be a man, and to be the fiercest warrior of the Foot Clan, becomes become a leader. Shredder. And that, but even Splinter confesses the fact, like I raised you to kill. Orokusaki. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, you are purely there just for events, and the Turtles were okay with that. Like, yeah, they're there to serve their master right there, and they're going to kill Orokusaki. 
Now, here, back to the, the movie, uh, Danny asks whatever happened to Rokusaki, and Splinter says, no one really knows, but you wear his symbol upon your brow. That's when we find out, oh, shit, you know, everything, well, everything we already knew, if you watched the cartoon and read the comics, that Shredder is really a Rokusaki leading the Foot Clan. Right. And so that's when Danny's trying to consider the fact, like, all right, what's he going to do here? He can't, he can't in good conscience wear that and still be considered part of the Foot Clan. That's when Shredder pops he, up. He basically takes off his head, his Foot Clan headband, drops on the floor to renounce them, but gets caught being in there with uh, Shredder. And that's when Shredder sees the headband on the floor, asks him, where have you been? And he says, nowhere. Oh, you're lying to me. And, and Danny's, like, scared, like he's going to get killed because he knows he's hiding from him. And, and then he, like, he threatens him and he grabs a – He grabs out of his back pocket the, the picture April made. Right. And that's when he realizes they're back and Tatsu immediately is like, okay. And he's like, I'm going to call the locksmith and assemble the troops. Yep. And this time he says, there will be no mistake. I go myself. Right. And the rats, you know, kill it. Do, do with it, as he says. Or he says, kill it. Yeah, yeah, kill it. And that's when the Foot Clan, like, really just, like, all... All hands on deck. Right here. And that's when Danny grabs by, is grabbed by Casey Jones, who's dressed up as one of the Foot Clan, mm-hmm. Clan members. And Casey wants to get the fuck out of there. But Danny says, like, no, we got to stay because they're going to kill Splinter. Yep. So Danny and Casey run off. The Foot Clan hops into the sewer. Now the Turtles must have known... a. The Turtles probably must have known that by staying back in the sewer den... They're, they're painting a target on their back. They're painting a target on their back. I think they do that to an extent and were, and were prepared to an extent because the foot barge right back in. That's when uh, they open up like a steam pipe, which completely clouds the room in fucking steam. No one can see anything, and they kick the ass of everybody in there. Right, and that's when we we hear that all the scuffling stops, the, te- the steam is turned off, and that's when we see Raph with the... The apple, the apple core. The apple core, and it's the payoff to without a setup. Yeah, the payoff without a setup. So more foot soldiers come storming in, and the fight, you know, the fight begins. Right. But back at the warehouse, Danny and Casey, they find Splinter. Somehow Danny knows where the fucking keys are. They right. Don't, they, they don't really explain this, do they at all? No, I guess he may have saw him when he came in. Uh, I guess we're just going to have to hand wave that. And I love how Casey Jones is kind of like taken aback by Splinter's appearance at first. And then he just kind of shrugs his shoulders. Like, like oh, okay, whatever. I've been spending a week with giant talking turtles. Like, it's a giant rat. It's not that out of yeah, the realms of possibilities. For. So yeah. they, they, it, Splinter's been strung up there for a while. He's literally been like hung up by his arms and shoulders like a fucking scarecrow for who knows, days, weeks. Yeah. He, he's weak. As soon as the, as soon as they take the chain off, you just see Splinter like, collapse onto the shoulders of the two men. Yep. And that, but however, they're caught by Tatsu and the Foot Clan that remained there. Yep. And I love how the the turtles are fighting in such efficiency here that even Leo's having a good time kicking ass right yep. now. Yep. All four turtles are here. They've got some little trap set up where Michelangelo just knocks him in place, and April, who's hanging up in the sewer pipes, hits him in the back of the head with a big staff. Right. Knocking him out. You're a natural, sis. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so now we have fucking Tatsu versus Casey. Casey's not taking this shit seriously first. Tatsu's grunting at him, and he tells him, a little primate team might help. He gets punched in the face for that. Uh, yeah, he gets slapped around for a little bit right here. And uh, let's, Tatsu does wipe the floor with Casey Jones here. He calls him Tinkerbell, and he knocks his ass out. And- uh, <laughs> she then starts trying to reason with him almost. He's like, starting to pick up a little language We're barrier thing right here. here, where he gets kicked in the stomach and beat up. And- but among all the equi- all the stolen equipment, he finds a thing of fucking golf clubs. Right. He slowly pulls one out. Yeah, and takes the clubs of uh, Tatsu's groin, and which knocks the wind out of him. Yep. 
and taking a moment from the comic. Far and sends him flying, and you even hear like an airplane like over, and they put that sound effect in. Oh man, and everybody, and that's what Casey says. I'll never call golf a dull game again. <laughs> uh, the turtles is able to get, work their way out of the lair yep. and into the sewers of Dante's kicking ass while on the skateboard. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just like they're they're. They're such efficient at this point that the Foot Clan is not a challenge them at this point. Well, Raph comes out of the sewer den door and he yells down the sewer lane, "Show off!" and then punches the guy in the face. We're barely seeing him. Back at the uh, the, the warehouse, the warehouse. The- Sam Rockwell is about Sam Rockwell is about to put on his Iron Man suit and <laughs> he's about to get Mickey Rourke after him. Uh, exactly. That's what Casey shows. Is like, hey, like you want to you want to go next to, uh, there, buddy? He pulls out another golf club. And then that's when the Sam Rocco says, we're a family. And that's when Splinter starts talking to them, and they're all shocked. Like, oh. oh. Like he can talk? Yeah. And Shredder cares nothing for you. He uses you for what, what he desires. Right. Cares nothing for you or the people you hurt. And he's like, but we're a family. And then Casey Jones is like, like, like family? Did you, say, you call this here? He starts pointing around him. And that down there. And he and points the tattoo. All family? <laughs> he's like, ah, well, forget about you. Yep. And then and Sam Rockwell's like, hmm, I guess I don't have backup right now, so I'm not going to do this. And I, so Casey Jones goes to help Splinter and leads him back into the city. And like I said, throughout this whole scene, this was all puppet work because we really don't see below Splinter's chest. So it's likely Kevin Clash and his assistants were doing the fucking duck walk behind them. Probably. I think you can see. No. Not really. No. Or maybe they're just carrying the puppet and someone's radio controlling it. Right. But now the Foot Clan members are coming out of the sewer because they're getting the shit kicked down. They're retreating. <laughs> I love how like the, he's calling out the one sewer gate like great like as if like Pennywise the clown was down there yeah. trying to get the fuck out of there. Don't hear your turtles float. <laughs> and so Michelangelo's making a bunch of shell puns right here. Yeah, he, he's officially Michelangelo has become Tim Rooney. Yeah, like I mean, it was like, a shell of a good hit. <laughs> and Donatello is just like dismissing most of them except that last one, right? Because the rule three of comedy right there. It's a real shell game when he's doing all these jokes here. But now I don't know if this was part of the Foot Clan trap but they all seem to be retreating to a rooftop right it's like, following up and so we have like the big trailer moment here when michelangelo looks up and says, hey wait for me where however one of the other foot clan members comes up behind with an axe and michelangelo ducks his turtle head into his shell like a real turtle can and says, god i love being a turtle after doing the batman backhand hit yeah and so they lead him to the, the rooftop uh, where the foot clans gets their asses severely kicked Right, and I think this background here of like the behind the rooftop there, I think is a big painting, because I think this is on a set right there, mm-hmm. and and finally they they finally put an end to the Foot Clan once and for all by taking them all out. Well, they all ret- managed to retreat after this. Yeah, you see them in the background. Now this is taken from the ending of the fucking comics, where there's the big fight on the rooftop. Right, and, and but like the thing is with that comics that they are like they were. They did take some hits. They did take some uh, cuts and bruises and everything. And they were kind of tired by the time they faced Shredder. Here, they're they they are tired because they've been in such combat, but they're not as tired as they were in the com- in, in the movie. They're in their like they're in far better shape than they were in the comic. But I love the introduction of how Shredder joins yeah, them. Yeah, right after they're all knocked out, I says, "Oh, no more!" And then we see this slow motion close up, close up of Shredder descending from jumping off like some platform, and then it's like. It, like, comes down, and then it cuts to, like, a zoom-in, like, hard cuts to a zoom-in. Yeah. I always had to, like, slow motion that and just see what the fuck was going on. And he's got this, like, you could tell he's got this smile on his face, and that's where the foot soldiers get the hell out of there. Right. And I I love how even – that shot became so famous that when 
Batman versus the TMNT, they replicated that shot when Batman comes face to face with the Shredder. Mm. But the turtles are cracking fucking puns on his appearance. Right, because he never has to look for a can opener. I don't know, but I never has to look for a can opener. <laughs> uh, maybe all that hardware is for making coleslaw. <laughs> now you face the, the Shredder. Shredder. The, the Shredder. Shredder. But yeah, Raphael Cockley, is that the word? Cockley? Cocky? Cockley, yeah. I got him. He goes in and he gets fucking manhandled. Knocked down. Leonardo goes next. He goes, for, and then this seems almost like amateurish how they're trying he to dive o- dove at him. Like, he literally yeah. like tried to like spear him yeah. with his katanas, and Shredder just stepped out of the way and kicked him in the fucking stomach. So that's when Michelangelo and Donatello fucking like you rock, know rock paper scissors rock right? paper scissors for it, and Michelangelo has to go. But meanwhile, on the street, there's all these just bodies laying everywhere. <laughs> Foot soldiers knocked unconscious, and the ones who didn't fight, who have followed Casey and uh, Danny and Splinter to the city, are just like hearing the commotions going up, going on on the roof. And that's when April joins them as well. Yep, she emerges from the sewers, and, and the turtles up top are huddling. Shredder's giving them the moment to breathe because he knows he can take him. Yeah, they don't know what to do. One, uh, Raph says, any thoughts? Leo says, I got one thought. This guy knows where Splinter is, and that gets Shredder's attention, and they all attack at once. And this is where one of my all-time favorite fight scenes in any movie. Is it the most technically proficient? No. no. However, just the combination of knowing what they're able to do with these costumes, the choreography able to, that they accomplished, plus the music. This oh, is my, yeah. This is my favorite track on the entire well, album. Th- this is the track from when the, the fight scene in the antique store, when the antique store goes on fire. Right. This is it, you know? It's part of, like, Shredder's Suite, I guess you would call yeah. it. But, oh, my God. I mean, I, I love the moment here when, uh, like, first, like, Casey's just like, are we going to go help him as he turns to speak well, to well, Splinter? Well, he turns to Splinter. It looks like your boys are going to need a little, um, and he's looking around at everybody, like Danny or the other kids. He's like, where'd he go? Splinter disappeared. So up back on the rooftop, Donatello tries his hand first. He gets taken out. Shredder dodges every move and takes him out. Michelangelo goes in. Nope, he's he's and, done. And I love how in the slow when they flip him in slow motion, they carry his scream over in that full motion. And he's like, Aah! yep, and lands on his face. Raph gets taken out. The last one's Leo. But on the on the on the street, two foot soldiers try climbing up to help. That's when Casey notices a garbage truck left nearby. He gets in, turns it on, and fucking. Take Back, out the, the fire escape. And fucking backsend it right into a fire escape, knocking them both off. That must and, have been a hell of a fall. Yeah, jeez. And that's when he gets out. And he, he takes out two foot soldiers coming after him. <laughs> it's, it's a talent. talent. And, and, of course, fucking says what a hot shit he is. Back on the roof, though, Leonardo, he's holding his own. You know, they're both blocking each other. But Leo gets one big strike. Like, Shredder has, like, a cut on his back shoulder. We don't see that happen. But Leonardo manages to stab him right in the arm. Right. And how they do in the comics, how they're able to best him is that and they they initially attack him one by one, but then they realize, like, we're a family, we got to do this together. And they try they attack him all at once, and that's how they're able to stop him. And in the comics, they offer him a blade to perform seppuku on themselves, like to kill himself. After he's been impaled yeah. on Leo's katana. It's like, you do it with honor, and he... He does the unarmable thing by pulling a thermite grenade from his his belt and tries to take them all out. That's when Donatello, like, fucking javelins his bow staff right into Shredder's face, knocking and, him and the grenade off the building where and, it explodes. And we don't see the body. Nope. And th- it, so it was kind of left open, the fact that they could bring Shredder back, but... They Eastman, find his ravaged gear. His ravaged gear, but they never saw a body. Yeah. And Eastman later said they didn't had no real intention of bringing him back. Like once he was gone, he was gone. Yeah, because like it well, was, they didn't expect the the it to come go past that one 
first comic. No, and even after, like afterwards, like they 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 brought back like a fake Shredder at one point because I don't think they brought him back in legit in their initial run of the, the issues. I don't recall exactly. Yeah, but after the fight, everyone's got their ass kicked. Raph finally just asks Shredder, "Where's Splinter?" He says, "Oh, the rat." For it had a name. It had. A it name. had a name. And Leo because like, Splinter was supposed to have been killed. He didn't know that tattoo has failed. Right. That's when Leonardo charges to the front and says, you lie! And he just smirks at him. Do, Do I? I? And that's when Leo loses his shit. And, and charges. And Shredder knocks him on his feet and he's going to kill him. And he holds him down with like, he's got this like speed, this like big fucking like spear staff that he's been using. Holds up to Leo's throat and tells him, he dies, weapons! Now! He tells him to throw, basically throw the weapons away. And they, 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 they wonder, like, if we do this, like we're we're gonna be just as dead as as Leo, but they had no choice, so they throw him away. And it wasn't until this viewing when Michelangelo's nunchucks. This viewing, get, yeah, I didn't realize. Damn. Like, I, I, it really that, like when I made that comment when we watched it before. Like I didn't realize, like oh, when Michelangelo's nunchucks get stuck on the fire escape, those are the nunchucks that come into play in a few seconds. Yeah, Raph size Donatello's bow. And only one of Michelangelo's nunchucks go flying off the side of the building, but one of them latches onto the – one of them gets caught on the fire escape. Right. And we see the shot hang there. Now, it's funny. As a kid, I watched this, and I remember recently at the time, there was an episode where they surrendered to Shredder, and they all just dropped their weapons on the floor. And I'm thinking, why did they throw them away? Why didn't they just drop them like in that episode? Because they could just pick them up later and attack, mm-hmm. you know? Right. But anyway, Shredder, you know, calls them fools and – Says, you know, three might have been able to overpower him with the loss, but one. But now your fate will be his, and he's going to kill Leo. Yep. So Shredder wasn't going to let him go at all, and they all scream, "No!" That's when Splinter appears at the top of the building. Finally, like a full body shot of Splinter standing. Yeah. You know, without being like strung up. He's probably being. He's probably leaning against that. Uh... Well, in that moment of distraction, Leo manages to roll away, and that's when Splinter. Says, I know who you are, you know. And he goes by Rokosaki. We met many years ago in the home of my master, Hamato Yoshi. He calls him by name, and Splinter, Splinter takes his front face cover off, which... Reveals the fact that he is a Rokosaki. Rokosaki. But what's funny is that right before, when Splinter was telling the story, you see it's up further on his nose, mm-hmm. and then I guess because whatever was mounting it to the, the rest of the helmet before it was taken off, when it cuts back to him, it's like lower oh, on really? his nose. If you notice that, between... Huh. Between that, when he takes it off, and the moment just before when we see him, it's up a little higher. Yeah, I, I bet you because it's like like he's got to be able to take it off easier. Yeah, it's basically just hanging on the tip of his nose right there. Right, and even Raph says like it's him. So Shredder touches his scars. And says, you now, I will finish what I began, what I began with, with your ear. And <laughs> Tarzan charges at him with and the spear, yells. knowing that's going to work. But Splinter. Smartly grab Michelangelo's last nunchuck, and since he's such a precise ninja, spins it around where the spear goes right through the fucking center chain, and he manages to flip Shredder over. And now he's holding, basically holding him up by that. Right. Splinter's dangling off the side of this building, and like a fucking fool, and if Splinter were to let go, the fucking nunchuck would just collapse, and Shredder would fall to his death. Right. So like a fool, Shredder there being, holding himself up as... Splinter tells him death will come for us all, but something much worse comes for you for when you die. But while he's saying that, Shredder reaches for like a Tonto in his back belt. Right. Flings it at fucking uh, Splinter. Splinter catches it midair, but by he, doing he, so. He lets go of the one of the nunchucks. In doing so, he lets go of one side of the nunchucks and fucking Shredder falls. <laughs> and we have a dramatic. <laughs> and he falls right in the back of the fucking dump truck case he used. 
And that's when Casey murders the Shredder. Casey walks up, says, oops, and turns on the fucking compactor. And crushes the Shredder to death. And we see the Shredder's helmet get crushed. Now, what's interesting is that as a kid, I remember I wasn't, I think I said this earlier, I was, must have not been looking. But when that happened, when you see the Shredder's helmet get crushed, I heard my mom go, ah. And I'm like, what? What happened? No, we saw the, the Shredder's helmet got crushed when he closed the compactor, you know? Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, gross. So the cops show up. Finally. finally. <laughs> There's just bodies everywhere. They're starting, many the of them have are, hit the floor. Many of them are starting to stir. There's like tons of teens right there. And I noticed something. And, oh, and, uh, Charles shows up with his action news van mm-hmm. to scope everything out. I noticed something. All these teenagers are, many of them, are, all right, maybe not all, but many of them are still wearing the fucking headband of the foot. And what, don't you think the cops should grab them too for questioning? Well, the cops are only arresting the guys in ninja costumes. Yeah. So Danny runs back to his father, but on his way, he passes by April, and he runs back over to her and puts something in her hand and says, April, take this. And she's like, well, what? it's just something I do. Trust me. She looks down in her hand. It's the $20 he stole from earlier. Right. So he's he's been fucking scared straight. He He yells for his dad. His dad runs over, and they have this big hug, you know. Charles says how he's been looking all over the fucking place for him, and Danny says he just wants to be called Dan now. Yeah. And he's like, Dad, I'm okay. Don't worry. Tr- tr- um, trust me. I'm fine. Can you please just, just call me Dan for now? It's just like, Dan Charles, now. Okay. And Charles is like, Dan. Dan. Like, he's like, he's, he's, hearing the, he's saying the word for like the first time yep. right there. And there's Chief Stearns, you know, picking up fucking dead bodies, talking to them as if they're fucking like going to talk back. Like, like, what's going on here? What have you been up to? He like pulls a guy's head up who's like unconscious. What have you been up to? And then just throws him back down. <laughs> so, and so get Charles, those kids over there. Don't let them get over there. I want to talk to them. And so Charles is begging April to come back to work for the news station right here. She was right, after right. all. And it, it, April's basically Just negotiating. Her price. It's like, she's like, hey, I, like, I want an office. Like, You can have an office. I want a corner well, office. She, you can- she's giving an example of someone over on Channel 5. Yeah. And everything she's saying, Charles is fucking um, saying, you could have all this, you could have this. She bet she's one of the highest paid reporters in New York. Now, now you, you are. are. Like, you were a tough negotiator, Charles. Yeah. And so she turns, goes up to Sam Rockwell, wondering, like, what the hell is going on here? Somebody better talk to me. And he says, go over, check out the East Warehouse over at Lairdman Island. So Peter sh- Laird, Kevin Eastman. Yeah. Put them together, and what Laird, do you got? Lairdman Island. Yep. You'll East get your answer. Yeah, and at that go. moment, Sam Rockwell, he, he turned over a new leaf. He turned a new life. He became a, a smart businessman. And, and a weapons dealer. Robotics and technology. But, but the, the pull to this old lifestyle, just it took him. So... He became a weapons dealer. He did. He did bad uh, dealings. Dealings. You he know, trying to get rid of his main competitor. He Tony even, Stark. He he even fucking hired a fucking felon who tried to kill people. This mm-hmm. guy who looked a lot like Mickey Rourke. Yeah. To build robots for him, and he's currently in prison, probably awaiting lethal injection. Yeah, he had a real whiplash in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh... <laughs> so, so Chief Stearns leaves <laughs> in dismay, just like I'm about to, in dismay and disgust. <laughs> April, she, I guess April in the fucking news van had a fucking makeup you know, kit, on makeup her. kit, and, and a fucking reporter suit. Oh, like that's the funny thing. For the longest time, when I was uh, at college, we always had a spare uh, uh, shirt, uh, tie, and jacket, just in case if anybody needed to do an on-air talent. Because there's a lot of times where on-air talents will have like their stuff, uh, the jacket up and underneath them though they'll be wearing shorts in the mm. studio and everything so i, I yeah. imagine it's kind of one of the situations here 
But, well, not really, because we do see a full body shot later. Right. But Casey goes up to her, and she's like, oh, Casey, hi. And he's like, oh, I look like I just called Mike Tyson. He doesn't have a good way with women. No, he is terrible. Like, oh. he has no game whatsoever. Yes, he just says, all you say is hi. And she's like, oh, you don't need an ambulance, do you? He's like, no. Just, she's like, why don't you shut up and kiss me, okay? I got a report to do. <laughs> like, I love it when you're pushy. And yeah. They finally, they finally kiss. Now, when I was in the fucking first grade after this came out, some of the fucking kids must have been playing a fucking prank on me. They used to tell me that when Casey, when when April goes to kiss Casey, you could see Shredder running by without his helmet in the background. And I fucking must have wore out my goddamn VHS tape looking for this. Like, yeah, you can see it when he goes to kiss her. When he goes to kiss. First off, you can't. We're watching this in its original aspect ratio right now. Right. I used to have it in shitty four by three VHS. Right. And I can't see shit. Most of the screen real estate that isn't taken up by April's face is taken up by her big eighties hair. Yes. You can't see shit. I even looked to this part afterwards. Like I, the, I think they were doing that just so you would keep rewinding and, and wear out your tape with that kiss. Or they, they were just dicks because they were fucking dicks. But yeah. Or this part here, like w- when fucking the turtles are like hooting at him, and then we show from like their perspective, you know, looking down on the street below, Casey fucking thumbs up the turtles and lifts her up. I don't see anyone running by. I no. don't see anything. So. Oh my, d- d- Kids are dicks. If I could go back to grade school, you know how many fucking fights I would have gotten into intentionally and just how many people I would love to just fucking pick up a large rock and hit him in the head with it repeatedly? It w- would it be a big rock? It would be a very big rock. Okay. So that's when the turtles now celebrating on the roof, talking with all their 80s jargon, surfer lingo about mm-hmm. how awesome they were. But Splinter, he says one thing, I have always liked Kawabunga. Mm-hmm. And they give the all the high five. Cowabunga! And Splinter laughs. I need a funny. And they're all dancing, and we get fucking turtle. The song "Turtle Power" by Partners in Crime, mm-hmm. the only hip hop song I know in all its entirety. All the lyrics too, and can even rap. though they mistakenly call Raphael, Raphael the leader, even though whatever man, he can rhyme the phrase pepperoni and cheese. Yeah, it's that's awesome. Yeah, so Sir's licensing was the ones that were behind all like this of this becoming a worldwide phenomenon, and so this would go on to be a huge success. Like I think, as we mentioned before, the box office was gigantic compared to the budget, especially. Yeah, and so that's why a year later we had a, a, a one year later we had another movie out already. Turtles which is, too. Yep, which we'll probably get to eventually, but. Um, what before we get to final thoughts or anything? Um. Where can people, uh, what formats can people watch this on? You know what? Here's the thing, though. This is going to be short and quick. This has gotten nothing but, like, bare bones releases over the years. Right now, we're watching one of these fucking, like, triple feature Blu-rays that you could find. But, like, for 15 anywhere. bucks somewhere. Maybe less. I might have even gotten this for 10 And as of right now, I'm not aware of any 30th anniversary editions that may be coming out. I know there's a, there was a 20th of all four movies at the time. Right. And even that was kind of like lacking in features and stuff. Mm. So I was happy with the, I'm happy with the, the transfer of this. I know it's not Blu-ray.com's most highly rated. I've seen it on DVD on the one that the DVD, it was like kind of like the uh, movie poster, except the background was yellow. That was what the cover looked like. That looked great. Mm-hmm. So really, I think there's pretty much one major transfer going around for like HD and stuff. So wherever you could find it. Pick up whatever. Yeah. You're not going to find much in the way of supplementary materials. Right. And so, like, we we had this kind of playing in the background as we do. That's the uh, peek behind the curtain. That's what we kind of do sometimes. We, like, we have them. Just we to plan- keep ourselves on track and keep our, you know, thoughts on track. We, right. We play the movie in the background. Right. Also. And the fact that we're watching it on a CRTV, um, 
We're watching a Blu-ray on a fucking CRT. However, I think it looked <laughs> – this might be a weird hipster thing, but I think it looked a little bit better here than when on your TV upstairs. You know what? CRT technology, I think, is – CRT technology, it, it's inconvenient, but in many ways – in many ways, it is better because, for one thing, you get those perfect fucking black levels mm. and contrast ratios, so there's more detail in everything because you get a greater contrast of colors. Right. Between you know the black and white of them, so right and like, OLEDs are coming coming close to CRTs. Right, and that's what I find out too. Most of the improvements made in like flat panel technology are doing things that CRTs did used to do with no problem. Hmm. Low input, la- low to no input latency, perfect black levels. And because like when you watched it on your your giant TV, like it was in like it's one seven eight at that point. It feels like the entire sixteen by nine of the TV. However, on on the CRT, it's perfectly in the 185 aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, just like the, the clarity and the colors of it, it's just like, wow, like it might be so hipster of me to say that. Well, I, also, I, this is a CRT that can do YPBPR component video, which fucking Blu-rays and DVDs are encoded in the digital version of YCBCR, mm-hmm. which then you just convert to the analog YPBPR component video. Right. So we're watching this in the fucking format that the disc is encoded in. Mm-hmm. Just like when we did the Halloween Resurrection one, we had to watch down here because I was doing something with my TV upstairs. Yeah. Like we're watching the DVD and it's fucking in, in what it was encoded in on a TV that does that flawlessly. Yeah. It looked great. Mm-hmm. We watched the worst of the worst of the bunch. <laughs> in the best format possible. Yeah. All right. So, final thoughts. I love this fucking movie. Yeah. I love this fucking movie so much. Seriously, I, I, you can quote me on it. I believe it is the best interpretation of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out there. It is the perfect amalgamation of everything. Nice. I don't. I don't know how you. I mean, yeah, you can modernize things like, like there's no cell phones in this movie. Right. There's no modern technology, no computers. But again, the plot doesn't depend on it. The only thing that may confuse people is the fucking pay. Well, the pay. Well, not, maybe not the payphone because that's in the sewer. You mm-hmm. know, they don't have cell phones in the sewer. Right. Or good reception in the sewer, but a payphone that's wired. You know, you could. Mm-hmm. But just fucking. I think April O'Neil's answering machine is the only thing that dates the technology in this movie. Right. And I think the only way, like, you could, somebody can be contrarian and saying, like, it's not the greatest adaptation of a TMNT property is because we don't see Donatello as the real tech genius. I guess, but, but it, it, like, never, it never came into... It doesn't detract from the story, though. It never came into play, really. Like, when was there a moment when Donatello working on some technology would have had a fucking impact on the plot? At what point? You know, the plot didn't call for it. Like, we see him working on the truck, you know, helping out. Um, fucking, we see him just fiddling with, you know, something when they notice some kind of circuit board or something like that. Yeah. But like, it it doesn't bother me because I did not notice a single point in this movie where Donatello working on a piece of technology would have impacted the plot in any way, shape or form. Right. But uh, yeah, it is one of those defining movies from, (laughs) I think it was also the peak of Ninja Turtles. After that, it was the zenith of it. It was the zenith. I mean, after that, you know, and you can watch it on the zenith. Yeah. You drop a scene up on my head. I'm gonna watch you. beheading videos of you on the scene. <laughs> but after that, things weren't as bad. Like maybe not. I, I, to be fair, maybe 1991 might have been because mm-hmm. you had Turtles 2. I don't know if it made more mo- uh, money. I don't know if it was more well received. But I know they had. That was when they had the plan of the the, the uh, Turtleoids fucking thing on prime time. Which anytime a kid's fucking thing goes on at like you know prime time on a weekday, it's big. I remember when. 
there was the, the, the fucking parts one, two, and three of the mutiny from mm. Power Rangers when Lord Zed made his first appearance. That originally aired on a primetime special. No shit. Yeah. Huh. Summer of uh, 94, I think. Wow. I mean, I don't think, I don't think Turtles, I think Turtles peak with uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming out of their shells. Uh, <laughs> all right. No turtle tunes. <laughs> oh, oh, no, the next mutation, obviously, that's, that's, that's. <laughs> I, I would watch the next mutation over fucking coming out of their shells yeah. any day of the week. Yeah. Twice on Sunday. <laughs> and. I, I did like, watch that show when it came out. So did I. I rented that from the library. Well, my feelings on this, I think it is one of the greatest comic book adaptations ever made. It, like, I, and I'm not just saying it just because my childhood or anything like that. I think what, oh, we, we didn't kind of discuss this before. So Steve Barron was, um, fired from the production during the third, like the, during the post-production. During post-production, yeah. And so two other editors came in and rejiggered the movie in the end. And he's been wanting a, Director's cut. Uh, director's cut. And it was missing. Uh, there was a deleted ending when April and Danny go and present the idea of Ninja Turtles to a comic book publisher, and they which l- mirrored – and the guy didn't buy into it one bit. He was rejecting it, and it mirrored how the movie was rejected from so many studios. Right. But outside the building on, like, the windowsill is the Turtles outside. Michelangelo, like, falls off the building. Yeah. Presumably to his death. I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe there was a cherry picker or, like, a painter of letters, like, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, it is like I, I did like a I did a list of like my top ten favorite comic book movies, live action comic book movies, and it's in there. It's amongst them. I, I keep I hold it up there with like Batman Begins or Superman the movie or Watchmen or the first Avengers. Well at the time of its production too, not release, it was a huge fucking gamble because a lot of why the studios passed on it was comic book movies were not proven then. Batman had not come out just yet. It was in Batman was in production. But had not come out. Yeah. And the last movie that was adapted from like a children's property that was adapt that was also adapted from like a toy line was Masters of the Universe and that fucking flopped. Oh my god, fl- it it flopped f- like a fish. <laughs> As they say, it flopped harder than me doing a backflip and a fool. Mm. Um So this was a huge risk. That's why so many studios turned it down. Mm-hmm. But I think that's why I praise Golden Harvest for having the tenacity to follow through with it. I, I consider this a blueprint to a property more than probably Superman the movie. Really? Just because of how the special effects do date Superman the movie and the look of it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like April still has like an 80s haircut, even though this came out in 1990. You know, that style was still still hung around for a little bit. But I just look at everybody and I feel like nothing really dates this movie. No. Like the, None of the, the movies tur- is, de- is like you say – if a movie's dependent on a certain technology, it automatically dates itself. Yeah. Like, and yeah, you can have things where old technology appears. Like I just said how the turtles having a payphone is not fucking weird because they don't, they're not, they're not fucking normal citizens. They live underground. No. And if they want to communicate with anyone, like a fucking call for the pizza, obviously they stole a fucking payphone that's still in use. Right. That's wired. You know, you're not going to get good service on a cell in the sewer. No. But the only like piece of technology, April's fucking answering machine. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the truck they take back is an old rusty barn truck that you could still find today. Yeah. Guarantee you go out to some fucking, you know, old... Okay, maybe some of the arcade cabinets, but, like, arcade cabinets are retro now, so... Fucking... Well, yeah. Arcades are a thing. Uh, okay, yeah. The arcade cabinets. 
Oh my god, how come what are all those arcade machines? Why why do none of them drive or shoot? Yeah. Why are there no plastic guns attached to it? Why are there no steering wheels attached to it? Yeah, like that's the only thing that probably And you don't even get a really good look at the games themselves, like you only get a good look at the few of them. Right. But it's like They're all for the same publisher. You you know what's funny? I was watching Robocop two last week. I think almost I, I may be wrong, but every arcade machine I noticed there was a Data East arcade machine, and they, they did had, the RoboCop game. They had the RoboCop games. game, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, like, like just to sum up what I was saying before, like, it is an absolute blast. It's a, it's part of almost my daily vernacular. This movie, I mean, so much of my friendships have been built upon our, of our appreciation of this movie, especially ours. And it's one of those crossover things that we're a huge fan of, and. It's continually rewarding as I get to grow up and still enjoy it. And because, critics shit on it, but fuck them. Exactly. Because there are certain movies, especially comic book movies, where like they were good at the time, but then you look at them like you could, you could argue Superman the movie being very dated. I or still you, love it. I still think that the overall framework of it is perfect for Superman, mm-hmm. minus like a villain that can be on par with him. But everything that makes up Superman as a character, I feel is fucking, you You could lift right from that movie. That's why it's been so hard to make a new Superman. Right. But also, you know, when not enough buses are thrown at him filled with people that he just moves out of the way and lets explode behind him because it looks cool without caring. He saved us. All seven of us. That's all that's left. So. Well, when General Zod lifts up the ground and says, you know. This my, is your people. My people. It's like, literally, you're picking up, you're picking up powdered people. That's powder. That's people powder. <laughs> and not powder made by a child molester. And so, yeah, I, I absolutely adore this movie. Like, you think, like, the first X-Men might, may not age that well and everything I have not watched in You know, I, I do enjoy the first X-Men, but I feel like X-Men is so fucking hard to do because there's so many bases you have to hit that you will never please everyone at once. Nope. I almost, an X-Men TV show would make more, make more sense. There's a movie. part of me that likes X-Men first class more than X-Men. Just because it's the fucking Wolverine show. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I still think X2 is still my favorite out of all the X-Men I think movies. that's mine also. And because I think it expands upon what the personal ideas of the X-Men, and it has one of my favorite set pieces in any comic book movie. It's Nightcrawler attacking the White House. Um, and I just love the themes of that. But I can see where you're coming from saying First Class being the best of them all because of, like... I'm saying my favorite. Okay. I like it better because I feel like it represents the beginning of X-Men... Better than X Men, right? Because they're already kind of show. yeah, and there's more of them. There's mm-hmm. not like four of them, right? So yeah, I absolutely adore the original 1990s, uh, 1990 uh, Ninja Turtles movie. I will continue to watch it until the day I die, and I'm so glad I was able to cover the 30th anniversary with you, sir. Thank you. I'm glad we covered it as well. Yes, can't believe it's 30 years old. I feel like a fucking ancient fucking gargoyle right now. Oh man, would you look at my heart? I'm a lot like oh, you. Oh, man, would you look at my butt? <laughs> That's probably what Neil Young said after too many drinks. Yeah. Um, and so I know you don't have any social media, despite the fact that listeners want you to join Twitter. Fuck them. <laughs> I don't want to join Twitter. Oh, you're disappointing the you're disappointing the fans. Fucking, I disappoint everyone in my life. What else is fucking new? Yeah, yet still, I still come here every week. You still in other news, <laughs> I disappointed people. In other news, water wet, <laughs> grass is green. Uh, I don't want to be on Twitter. I know. Uh, my blood pressure is stable because I'm not on any social media. And, yeah. and like, 
I, I, I look outside and I'm like, look, the sun, it's so bright and shiny because I'm not on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my social media plugs. <laughs> so if you really hate me, just all uh, plug it all through Tim. <laughs> Don't plug me. Um... Yeah, plug your social media. So all your complaints please about me, please direct them towards Tim. Yeah, and you can send all the complaints to my Twitter at TimothyRooney2. Um, you can it's my Instagram at TRooney1012. My YouTube channel, Through the Lens Productions, where my upcoming short film, Chased, uh, where Mike actually is an actor in that, mm-hmm. is coming out very soon. Um, and my other podcast, Please Rewind, the RF4 Arm Retro Show, where it's more frequent. It's myself, Jamie Drewley, and Guy Milks. We're talking about movies when it comes to anniversary, very similar to this show, but it's far more consistent. In our latest episode we just dropped, there's just Guy and I talking about uh, the Blues Brothers for the 40th anniversary. And so uh, if you like that, subscribe to those shows and this show and wherever you get my content that's put out in the world. And so, Mike, thank you for taking time of the night to talk Ninja Turtles with me. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Paging Mr. Herman. Paging Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman, please come to reception. You have a telephone. You have a telephone call at the front desk. Come back next time as we talk about geek and pop culture, and we'll be speaking to you soon.